Hi, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of Slime Time SideQuest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is Platym3. And this is Yangus the Legendary Bandit. You know, I have to give you guys a thanks for the shout-out in the last episode of Slime Time Prime that you did. Ah, you mean for the uh, mummy magnet? Yep. Fun fact, that magnet actually glows in the dark. Found that out one night before going to bed when I went to grab a drink of water from the fridge. It was definitely a surprise looking up and seeing that thing glowing right in my face. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I was just at Walmart, actually, um, was it Wednesday night? And I definitely went up and down. It was the first time I've been since all the Halloween stuff's been out. And I went up and down every aisle looking for that knockoff uh, magnet you found last year. Um, if people don't remember what we were talking about or hadn't heard the other episodes... Uh, Yangus last year went to Walmart, just picked up a random magnet that was there for, you know, dollar or whatever in the uh, the Halloween stuff. And it is completely a knockoff of the mummy from Dragon Quest, Um, you know, holding it right up to the official art of the mummy from Toriyama. I mean, like to the positions of the fingers and every single bandage, it is completely... A knockoff. It is. I remember when I found that, too. Like, I was just walking through the aisles, and I just saw the magnets. And I took a double look at them, because I'm like, is that a mummy from Dragon Quest? And I picked it up. I pulled up the official art. It's like Matt, or like uh, Platy had said. It was pretty much verbatim the exact same thing. The only s- slight differences to it are the eyes are, like, angry eyes, where it looks like they're, like, scowling. And the mouse has... And the, or the mouse. The mouth has pointed teeth instead of just like the goofy looking square teeth that the mummy has but it was it was pretty much the same thing no question about it <laughs> it was it was definitely one of those hey you know what Don't copy my homework but make it look different memes yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh the topic we're going to talk about tonight is a system that the three of us on here really enjoy, but there's not a lot of other denizens that own one or, or talk about general. it. Or people in general. That's <laughs> definitely the truth. <laughs> Worldwide. <laughs> America. There's a reason this system is uh, dead, but will live forever in our hearts. Um, Vita Vita, Yes, it does. <laughs> Over on the Dragon's Den, there's a like button that you can click on people's posts, you know, just like Facebook, just like Twitter, just like anything. But um, this is a default thing that came with the Envision boards, I believe. Uh, and it's called the Reputation Counter. And there's a list on the Den that counts lifetime, weekly, monthly, how many likes that you receive. So, and I think they, when Wudis updated the Envision boards, maybe five years ago, this started being on there. And the reason I bring all this up is because do you know who the three most reputable people on the Dragon's Den are? Is it Woodis, Dwayne, and King Zenith? Uh, quite likely. But from a pure numbers standpoint, it's the three of us! <gasps> good old Yangus, good old Platy, and uh, I think EAL, Evan, you are in second place. I'm in third. I'm a distant third. coming for you. <laughs> But, so, uh, yeah, we're not only the top three posters of the past decade, we are definitely the most reputable posters. And I have hard documents to back this up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, sit back, listen to what the most reputable denizens have to say about the PS Vita, because we love it. Such so, as, fun so fact, wait, wait there are if, three... Uh-oh, if, uh-oh. If, if we're the if we're the three most reputable people on the den, does that mean that we're like the three stooges? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. All right, <laughs> over to Evan. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the Vita, my friend. 
Well, fun fact, there are 317 games physically on a cart on the Vita, and almost a tenth of them are visual novels. Sounds about right. <laughs> Jeez. So I, I remember when I first got my Vita, one of the, um, for gosh, two or three years, every Tuesday at noon, during my lunch break, I would get on the PlayStation um, website and the PSN and look for what was on sale. And I would instantly go click on the Vita tab. And, you know, over over three years from like 2016, 17, 18, it would gradually be fewer and fewer every week. But uh, definitely, yeah, the visual novels, dungeon crawlers and a lot of rhythm games, right? They're still coming. I was on the uh, the Vita subreddit just today and like, oh, look, guys, another game just came out. Isn't it great? Vita's still alive, guys. <laughs> <laughs> there was. I, I get notifications from the Reddit um, Vita Thing. Every now and then, maybe twice a week or something, I get a little thing on my phone. It's like, oh, look what's trending on Vita. And there was one released yeah, just I, today, I, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah, don't I, know which game it is, though. But I, I, I was <laughs> I was using it back when there was... I, I used, mostly used the uh, subreddit for when uh, new games were coming out, and they are not anymore. So, but it is what it is. <laughs> All right. It's kind of like the Dreamcast almost, because even though that system kind of petered out, like it, it still saw releases from other companies and like fan-made games that still got attention. So the Vita's kind of like a new Dreamcast almost. You don't even know. There was like, so there was a Kickstarter for like the series of like History of the Vita books, and they're, they just finished the third one. they supposed to be shipping out recently. I was hoping to get it before uh, we recorded this, but the guy who like worked on that was a part of the crew that worked on the Dreamcast version. <laughs> oh, okay, there's a, cool. There was like a Dreamcast uh, Kickstarter that talked all about the history of the Dreamcast, what was on it, stuff like that. That's cool. <laughs> all right, well, we've got a bunch of different games we're going to talk about, games, series, whatever. We, we have a very loose format for tonight. Um, <laughs> with only three of us instead of like a six-pack, we <laughs> decided to uh, definitely go a little less structured. I won't uh, interrupt Yangus as much as I normally do. Tell him to shut up about Monster Hunter, but... Uh... <laughs> no, don't worry, he still will somehow. I mean... Uh... <laughs> there are a lot no of promises. Monster Hunter clones on it. <laughs> that too. I, could this be like a really big clone machine? I've heard it said that the Vita is home to the most 7 out of 10 games. <laughs> and, and that was kind of its problem. Like, the only game you can really... Everyone can kind of universally agree this is an amazing game is... Persona 4 Golden, and everything else was sort of a lesser Uncharted, lesser Monster Hunter, but they're still good in their own way, but they're not good enough to maybe want to get it, and, you know. So, I, you know what, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I the games I'm going to talk about are Persona 4, and then a couple, like, um, I guess not niche so much anymore, but games that are on other systems, um, games that stayed in Japan only, so, yeah, the, Mine are not, you know, Vita exclusive, and neither is Persona 4 anymore. There um, really aren't any Vita exclusives anymore. I can only count, like, maybe Uncharted, Golden Abyss, Soul Sacrifice, and Freedom Wars. Like, off the top of my head, everything else seems to be on PS4 or Switch. Yeah. At this point. And a lot of the Falcom games that we're going to be talking about tonight, too, like Falcom originally made them for the Vita, and in some cases they had a PS3 version around the same time, but eventually they just were like, eh, you know, we're going to port these games over to the PS4, make them like 4K native and all that. Mm -hmm. You get the oh, upgraded versions. 
so yeah, there's not a whole lot that I like. I I don't even can't think of hardly any games that are exclusive to Vita much more other than like that Uncharted game that um, uh, Evan brought up. Yeah, that's pretty much the only game I'm talking about that's actually just on Vita. Everything else is you can get it on PS4, you can get it on Switch. So yeah, hey, you know what? I love my Vita. Now my Vita's hacked, so now my Vita is like PS. I mean, you can play, and I know. Zachary, you're going to talk about this um, PSP games and PS1, but I mean, I've got to, I've been doing my Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Color gaming on it too. So, my, mine is now definitely just <laughs> a port machine. So, all right, that's kind of how I gonna... treated mine too. So, but sorry, go ahead. Oh, that's okay. I was going to say, Evan, go ahead, pick one of your games, start us off chatting about one, and uh, we'll go from there. I want to guess rolling on Tearaway because to me, that's kind of like the best at utilizing all the features of the Vita, just the way it controls. Like there's, like you can use your thumb on the back and it pops up and when you're playing the game, uh, your thumb appears on the screen. I don't think it's actually your thumb, but it's made to look like your thumb. When you're like moving things around or you're attacking enemies or when you can tap, you can tap the thing and your guy's jumping all over the place. Uh, You can pinch it and things open up or uh, there's, one of my favorite features is the one where um, you're like the sun in the sky and it's literally just your face on the screen while you're uh, moving your character around. Little little things like that. Yeah, that was, I loved the sun thing. I, I had played the PS4 version first, I played it through a demo, which I didn't, really, I didn't even know it was a Vita game originally, but I had played it, and it showed the sun up in the sky, but it was just blank, and I'm like, well, that's kind of kind of an odd choice they did that when they're trying to be like, oh, that's you up there, that's you, the player. I'm like, well, why is it just a big blank circle? Well, then playing the Vita version, I had gotten it on sale at one point, I started playing it. I was really surprised when I started that one up, and all of a sudden, there's my face looking down at the game. <laughs> so it's funny. <laughs> So what is Tearaway? Yeah, I've never played it. So from what I remember, it's just kind of a you know collectathon, but it has like a sort of a story. I think your character is like trying to go like deliver a message to you, the player, if I remember correctly. And you go through all these like paper cutout, kind of like Paper Mario, this this paper cutout world. But what I thought was kind of cool was like the water is paper, or like wind effects is paper. Like literally everything in the game is made to look like paper mache or paper paper crafts and stuff like that and some of the collectibles unlock paper craft instructions i think if i remember correctly or like a printout that you can do online and it'll print it out and you can create like little paper crafts and it's they look sort of like characters from the game like the enemy encounters and stuff like that yeah it's it's actually very kid friendly i would recommend it to younger kids because it's pretty simple. I barely had to consult any sort of guide to find everything in the game. Uh, it's it's very involving for kids. Like you can a lot of touching, a lot of poking, a lot of you know moving things around, a lot of a lot of engagement in the game. It's got nice music. It's got cute characters. It's very poppy. It's kind of like a storybook in a way, just the way the game plays out. I think it would be pretty good for, like, a young, like, six, seven-year-old. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what my oldest is. I know my kids just um, kind of blew through, what's the game that came out recently? Yoshi's Crafted World. I mean, recently, eight, nine months ago. But we just got it, and they played through it. And I actually, I, I very rarely played with them because they were doing it all two-player, and they could get through it on their own. 
but I thought it was so cool. Like everything in that game was what sounded like what you're talking about. Everything was a piece of paper. Everything was a piece of cardboard or a paperclip holding stuff together. Yeah, and like the combat, like I would even say as much combat in it, if anything. And if you uh, if you fall off something, you you pretty much respawn right where you fell. Mm-hmm. And there's there's no like lives system. You don't like run out of lives, and you have to start from the beginning of the level. It's it's pretty straightforward. It's barely five hours, maybe six or seven. So it's it's pretty short too. Hmm. It's kind of just a nice little relaxing game from when I remember playing it. And like visually, it's a really good looking game too. Like it's oh, yeah. it's really interesting how everything looks like it's made out of paper. But seeing it all in motion and seeing how everything blends together so well, it's it they definitely spent a lot of time making sure that world looked just right with that paper style they were going for. It's very impressive. Yeah, and they're the it's the little big uh little big plant people. Yeah, it's media molecule that made that one. So they definitely are able to take like sort of everyday objects and make them interesting to look at cuz like some of the levels that they have made for um like a, like official levels not fan-made levels for little big planet. There's some really cool designs that they do with what they have available in the tool creator. It's really nice. Yeah, didn't they make like some new like dreams or something like that for PlayStation 4 was where it's pretty much just make your own game? Yeah, and you know, I remember when we talked about that game like when it was first revealed, like I was like, "Oh, that looks really cool." But we didn't know when it was coming out. Then it's like two years or three years later. It's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> it <laughs> came, came out, out on PS4. Yeah, I heard people like making like whole Mario levels in that game oh, or something. Yeah, that's something right. Crazy like that. That's right. I remember hearing about that because I think Nintendo basically came in and it's like, no, no, you can't do that. Stop that now. And all yeah. of those levels got pulled. <laughs> Pretty much any time a new engine comes out that anyone can use, it's like, all right, let's make some Mario levels out of it. <laughs> Just it's always Mario 64. Everyone always tests out Mario 64 on that stuff. Like they make like the Peach's pa- uh, Castle Grounds, or they'll do Babam Battlefield. But you, I mean, you're totally right. Every time a new engine comes out, bam, here's a Mario level for you. <laughs> so did this have like some? Uh, I'm watching a little video on it here on YouTube. Did it have some like gyroscope motion control with the turning the Vita? Yeah, there was like platforms where you had to tilt the Vita sometimes to get it one way or the other. There were some other things, but I honestly don't remember particularly mm-hmm. well. I, I feel like it even had, I think, I, I might be wrong, I think there might even be like a, a blowing mechanic like you, like you blow on it and you're, oh yeah, I think there was. There's like you blew on it and the, like a pinwheel or something or like a engine or a fan would start blowing and it would lift you in the air, I think. It's been a while, about a year and a half or so since I played it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember in, at some points when playing it, like, it's cool because even though you're playing as um, the little paper guys, I forget what they're supposed to be called, but what it is is that you're supposed to also be, like, overseeing their adventure as it's playing out, so you get to help interact with the stuff like Evan was talking about. But what's cool is when enemies show up sometimes, you can actually touch, like, the back of the screen, your finger comes popping out, and you can actually, like, switch the enemies around and knock them out so that the character on screen can uh, deal with them then. Yeah, it's like what I think it's like the prime I think it's the best use of uh, a system's like touch controls I've ever seen and it's done in a way that doesn't feel like a gimmick. Unlike uh, almost everything in the Nintendo DS era. <laughs> oh man. All right. Moving on, Zachary, you want to uh, bring up a game? Oh, yeah, sure. I'll, um, <laughs> you know, since I'm going to talk about two of them, I'll go ahead and get one of them out of the way. Uh, I want to talk about 
uh, the the Ease games that are on the system, uh, specifically starting with Ease Memories of Celsetta. So for a bit of background, the uh, the Ease series is one that has been around for a long time. I think it like first came out in like 1988, 1987. So it's been around for about 30 years or so. And most games have appeared on a number of different consoles, usually either PC or uh, PlayStation consoles are like the, the current ones that they show up on now. But uh, mm-hmm. with Memories of Salsetta, it's a remake of the fourth game in the series and kind of a bit of a reimagining too with how the story plays out and certain elements are uh, brought into it from my understanding. So with the E series, you're always playing as the character at all Christian, except for one game in the series where he's not uh, playable. Uh, and all of the Ease games are always different adventures in his lifetime. Like, they don't necessarily go in chronological order, it just kind of jumps around in his life, but with Memories of Salsetta, it takes place, uh, I think, shortly after the first two games in the series. He's in this region uh, just called Salsetta, and it has this giant forest that takes up the majority of the landscape. He ends up going into the forest at some point, what ends up altering his memories and taking them away from him. And he ends up, when the game starts out, you end up wandering into uh, this town. He's not sure why he's there. He's not sure what's going on. And he luckily ends up running into someone he was traveling with named Duran, who explains to him like, oh, you know, we came to this region to, you know, check out the forest and see this, um, you know, find out what's going on here. Because the government that's here is trying to enlist people to, you know, chart out this unknown region of the world. And because the the Forest of Salsetta is such a mystery, well, as you then start going through the game, you start getting back uh, Adol's memories, which include like what got him into adventuring, what sort of events happened to him as he was exploring. And what's nice about it is that even though you know it's sort of like you're repiecing puzzles back together, the cool thing is with the memory system is that you actually get to see how Adol um, interacted with some of these villages that he traveled to. Because there's two major villages in the forest that you end up going to. And as soon as you go there, everybody's like, oh, it's Adol Christian. Oh, my God. Get him out of here. He nearly destroyed our village. Or, oh, he chased off all of our livestock. And you're like, whoa, what's going on? Well, then you start getting these memory fragments and seeing what sort of led up to this event and why Adol was being essentially blamed for all this. But, um... Uh, let me see so basically the story is you're exploring this forest you're trying to piece back the memory or adult memory back together and you then start to learn a little bit more about what's like beyond the forest and how that all ties in i won't talk too much about the story because it it is actually pretty interesting to discover it on your own and how it kind of comes out at a nice pace as you play the game but it's one that it starts off being just like a simple, oh, we got to go explore and get your memories back. And it evolves into something pretty interesting, I thought. Uh, but for the gameplay part of it, these uh, games focus on, or this game in particular, excuse me, focuses on, uh, you know, as an action RPG series. So you're not going to be like taking your turn, um, picking your commands, anything like that, like with Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest. You know, as soon as enemies pop up, it's you're in combat right then and there. So what's nice about uh, E's games is that they're, they're pretty simple, and Ease Memories of Salsetta is, like, follows that same sort of traditional take on it. You have your standard attack button, which is just the X button. You can jump with the circle, and to use your special skills, all you got to do is hold the R button, and you can push one of the four face buttons and use one of the four assigned uh, special moves for that character. So since Adol uses a sword, he can use, like, a charging, like, spin-slash attack. When he levels up a bit, he can get a tornado attack that has a wider range of effect around him. And the nice thing is about combat is, like I said, it's very easy to get into. You only really have to worry about using a few buttons and 
when you start getting the other characters involved, you can swap between everybody to, uh, you know, like go after different enemy weaknesses. Because all of the all the playable characters have their own special um, type of damage that they can do. So, like Adol uses a sword, so he uses slash attacks. Uh, Durin, who uses fisticuffs and um, gauntlets, uses blunt damage. And then you have characters like Kara, who joins a little later, who uses uh, knives and like throwing like throwing knives and things like that. So she's considered pierce damage, and you want to switch between characters when the certain situation calls for it, because you might come across an enemy that, uh, say, if Durin attacks them enough, like it's going to break the shell off their back, so now everybody can do the same amount of damage. Or you'll have enemies that are flying, so it's a good idea to have Kara be your lead character so she can knock them out of the air. And nice thing is, too, you can just push the button, and you switch right to uh, the other characters in your active party, so you can cycle through everybody really fast. So it's pretty easy to play and understand the games. You get six characters... Uh, two per uh, damage type. And with the leveling system for the skills, you just have to use them enough. They'll do more damage. They'll cost less stamina. And you have uh, two different types of ways to dodge enemy attacks, too. So you can guard enemy attacks or you can dodge enemy attacks. And if you can do either one of those with just the right timing, you enter what's called like a flash state. So you either can attack like a lot faster or it builds up your uh, essentially your super meter a little faster so you'll get your stamina back a little quicker so you can keep you know throwing out your powerful attacks or you can save them up to use like your really strong like all for one sort of attack where you use like a, a basically like a screen filling sort of effect like a like a big spell in like dragon quest or final fantasy or something like that but it, it's a pretty easy game to get into and learn how to play it and the game does a good job explaining how to play it too like you don't need to know how to play other ease games or know the story in order to just you know get in and have fun with it yeah, there's like three of them. There's uh, that one, Origin, I think it is, and uh, He's Eight, I think. And they all seem to be like different, completely separate stories from each other, from what I could tell. Yeah, that's um, that's the nice thing about this series, too. Like, I had started it with Memories of Salsetta. I knew about the series before then, but I think when I got my Vita, it was just one of those games that I saw on sale for like 20 bucks brand new. So I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll pick it up. I'll play it. I've been wanting to try this series, and... You know, I got into it, and I didn't feel like I was lost on anything. I think there were some references in there that I didn't catch. Like, I found out later that it was after the first two games because they made reference to uh, the tower that Adol has to explore in the first or the second game. So it's like, okay, so it wasn't wasn't Hyrule story stuff. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, like, stuff with E's Origins, that's actually the one game where Adol is not the playable character. It's because it's, I think it's like, hundreds of years before his time even i haven't gotten too far into that one from the time i played it but i do remember like it specifically said like like hundreds of years before the famous hero at all christian was ever born into this world like such and such went down and happened yeah i actually played origins because i like the look of i really like that uh 2d you know sprite based character walking around a 2.5d location similar to the DS Dragon Quest games. So I was like, oh, this looks like a great game. I'll play it. And I, it was good. Like, I actually liked it, but I was I was so bad at it. Like, I, oh my God. I was, I probably paid three hours and I was like, this is a great game that I am not good at. I probably will never pick this game up. You know what? That's hilarious because that's probably right about the point where I quit that game for as well. <laughs> I want to say like going underwater and you have like limited air and I like, could not figure it out for some reason. <laughs> was, that, 
You said E's Origins one? Yeah. No, I didn't even get that. I didn't even get that far. There was what there was a boss, maybe it was like the first big boss or second boss or something. You had to climb up on the arms between attacks and hit their yeah. eyeballs or ears or something. Oh and, yeah, that sounds like what E's would do for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, it was I, like I said, it was two to three hours into the game. Um, cause I almost specifically remember I was working out a half an hour a night and like just playing it a half an hour while sitting on the, uh, bike and doing that. And it, it was like, I started it one weekend and by the next weekend I was like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I think I beat that boss after two straight days of trying. <laughs> like, I, See, I actually, like... I actually beat that boss. No problem. It was, and I think I had a little bit of trouble fighting the next boss. I think he was like your rival character. And then after that, I ended up in this like stage where you had to go underwater but you had limited oh, breathing and you had to avoid like these spikes and something and i was just not doing it i was like it takes too long to get to this part when you when you die i'm not doing very well at it i need to put this game down and then i just dropped it forever well i'll <laughs> tell you that memories of Celsetta isn't quite that unforgiving with some of its okay. design choices oh thank God. like there, there's underwater <laughs> segments but you don't have to worry about um like keeping your breath held for so long or like you only have a limited amount of time it was and, like and, a, and like those sections are so few and far between too that it's like oh okay that's not that big a deal yeah it's like you were holding your breath and you're, and you're losing health or you're like being attacked by something and you're losing health or there was like some sort of uh thing in the middle in in your way that you had to cross that was causing you to lose health but either way i was losing health underwater and i just wasn't doing it <laughs> so i think it origins is coming out for switch yeah, yeah i think it just that. came out just, today right yeah can't talk yeah, about it, that though so the vita episode <laughs> <laughs> it is weird with that game though because that was one of the few games that uh, at the time that xc did not publish over here because it was around that point that Xseed was kind of the main publisher for Falcom games. But I don't remember what company did publish uh, Ease Origins over here, but everyone was kind of like, oh, this, you know, everyone just sort of assumed it was Xseed. It's like well, when uh, NIS America took over for um, like um, Falcom games too. Everyone was like, wait, what? It's not see, that was anymore? I was hearing like, I played those games and I was hearing all about all the, that drama. People oh, were like God. so mad about Ease 8 or something. Don't oh, even, I've yeah. never even touch that game and i know all about this weird drama about yeez 8 oh we'll get to that we'll get to that. <laughs> so we'll you circle said... back around to it yeah. <laughs> but switch games but to be quite honest like most of the games on vita are on switch now mm-hmm. it just but translates yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. a natural fit with the touch screen and the yeah the handheld mode and yeah. The, the nice thing is with uh, Celsetta, just one more thought before we move on, is that if you don't have a Vita, there is the PS4 version did come out earlier this year and XC had brought it over. It's like $20 cheaper, I think, than a normal game. It might be even cheaper now. But, you know, if you never if you never played uh, Ease game before or if you're trying to get into the series again, like Memories of Celsetta, I started with that one. It, it was a good introduction to the series and it, it does a nice job teaching you to play as you go. You don't feel like it throws everything at you at once. So, if, I mean, if you guys ever want to try and give it another go at that series, I, I would recommend Memories of Sasada. It's, it's a nice game. I liked it a lot. I actually have felt that. I was planning on playing it eventually, but I want to play some shorter games first. So what you're telling us is that's a good game to ease into the series? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bum but yeah, it's not really that long either, too. I think it was like took me 30, like 30, 40 hours to beat it. So that's pretty it, good for an RPG. Yeah, it's, it was a good game. I really enjoyed it. And it's got we're going to talk about this, I'm sure, with the other ones, too, with the other Falcon games. But it has such a rockin' soundtrack. I love the soundtrack to that game. 
it was hard to pick just like one song to give to Platy, like just to find the right one, because there were quite a few that popped into my mind from that game. <laughs> I, one thing to say about this Vita, we will be talking about a lot of games with great soundtracks. Like I was going through all these games, I was like, yep, that's got one of my favorite soundtracks. That one, yep. I, I, most of the games we're talking about, I actually like went out of my way to buy, like import from overseas, because I like their music so much. Nice. All right, well, we'll, I'll do one of mine, and then we'll circle back around to everybody. Um, When I first got my Vita, um, I think I've told this story before, even a couple podcasts ago, when we had uh, Samantha on, uh, Coffee Tan, Michi, whatever you want to call her. She had a contest on, and this is even before she worked for Square Enix. I want to say this is probably four years ago, maybe five years ago. And I think it was back when she was doing Dragon Quest Builders cosplay. And kind of, you know, Square Enix was paying her to go around and be at conventions. Um, wasn't yet her day job. But she had this little thing on Twitter. She's like, hey, she goes, I got a couple copies of Dragon Quest Builders digital codes to give away. Tell tell me your favorite Dragon Quest memory, um, and you know I'll pick one to give away. And she goes, make sure you tag the right post, whether you want PS4 or Vita. And I was like, ah, you know, I already bought the game. I got it physically. But hey, this could be something that I could turn around and then make a contest on the den and give away the digital code for. Well, I didn't really pay attention to which one I was posting on and just posted like how I got into Dragon Warrior as a kid because my grandmother bought me the game and she's long since dead now and but you know every time I play the series it reminds me of my grandmother um 30 years ago getting me this game and like holding on to it for months and months just to give it to me as a surprise and I get a uh, DM from her one day like hey guess what I really loved your story it was kind of touching I retweeted it and back then I was barely on Twitter, so I don't even remember how I even saw that, really. But she sent me a message, and like, yeah, here you go. Here's the download code. And I go to put it on my PS4. I'm like, well, that that didn't work. Then I went back and read her message like, oh, I want a Vita code. I don't know Vita. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time, I had just, you know, I, I didn't play Dragon Quest Builders more than five, six hours on my PS4 when it came out. So here I was sitting with this code, and I'm like, ah, you know, I haven't played Dragon Quest Builders in about a month anyway. You know, maybe having it portably, I, I would be more inclined to do it. So found some guy on uh, Facebook Marketplace, had a Vita, had a good memory card in it, and a few games that I was like, well, I'll just turn around and sell them. 100 bucks. Bought it from some guy off Facebook Marketplace. And, you know, Googling what should I play on Vita, of course, everybody says Persona 4 Golden. Um, and I think it was right after I had played Persona Q, after not having really any experience with the series before. So I kind of went into Persona 4 Golden, having only known the people from Persona Q on the 3DS. And man, I put, gosh, 80 hours into that game. Uh, it, surprisingly enough, there were some musical tracks I liked. Um, High I'd praise. Never, yep. <laughs> from someone who doesn't really play it that often with the volume on i was like um the battle theme remember yankus i was texting you and you're like what you like the battle theme for that i was like yeah it's awesome it's rocking which one um, there's two there's, there's I, one where you, I don't remember where you stumble into a battle and one where you initiate it. It, it definitely the one i initiate because i was definitely making the effort to do that um with the because you can see the battles coming up you can see where they are for the most part yeah that, that um, was a bit of an odd change too when i had played i had played the ps2 version first and when i played the vita version it's like wait a minute why is there a different battle theme shouldn't it be that 
I, I don't remember what the name of the song is. Like the, oh, God, I don't remember the song name. But like the new one they use, it's like totally different sort of beat, different kind of feel to it. It's like well, this is kind of different. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I enjoyed that. Um, I had never played, like I said, never played a Persona game before. Um, but I'd played some SMT, and I, I kind of knew the, um, what is it, the spells and the abilities, and everything. And I'm like, oh, these are these are fun. Didn't it have what is it? The press turn system. I, I know um, they all. There's something with the. I mean, all the different SMT games have something. If you met, if you can get the ability right, it kind of uses the press turn system. It's more like the. If you hit the enemy weakness, you'd get one more chance at like attacking with that character. So sort of yeah, the idea okay. is to keep using the same uh, sort of weakness attack on the enemies, and then you knock them all over. It's like, oh hey, now we can do an all-out attack. Oh, that's right. You knock them down, and if you can knock down all of them at once, you get the all-out attack. Where they just—that's uh, always hilarious. It made me think of like a Scooby-Doo pile <laughs> or something like that. You start seeing like clouds of dust, and all of them rush in there, and it just looks like a cartoony beat 'em up thing, and. <laughs> they all get knocked. That's right. They knock them down. That was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought the story was pretty good. Uh, I had it, unfortunately, spoiled at some point. But, I mean, I don't really care much about spoilers. Um, I won't spoil it here. We, we don't have to get into who the killer is or whatever. Um, it's kind of good that I had something spoiled because I know there's a point in the game where if you don't a- answer some certain questions correctly, you don't go down the path that gets you the, uh, the good I will ed- spoil that for people. Make sure to read a guide on what are the correct choices because I totally fumbled the ball on that one and I just had to look it up because the- they were hyper-specific and you had to get them all correct. Yeah, it's a scene in a hospital room, isn't it? Yeah, and you don't even know you've made a mistake until you've done until the game hits credits. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't even. It, it doesn't portray as like here's a big scene that you need to make sure you get right. It's just like okay, you finish the this dungeon and you're doing the in between parts between dungeons and bonk. Hmm. But yeah, so I was kind of glad that like easing into it, um, I had read something about that, and it was like, hey, you know, you need to make sure you're doing this and this. I know some people find him annoying. I absolutely loved Teddy and all the bear puns. <laughs> I love so, Teddy uh, too. Uh, if you can bear through some puns, you know it's great. Ooh. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Bear sauna. Yeah. And it was uh, interesting because I, like I said, I'd only known these characters through playing them on Persona Q, and I know one of the biggest. Um, complaints about Persona Q is they take one personality trait from all those people and just ramp it up to like level 1000 like I'm gonna be honest, the, uh... yeah that was m- all of the Persona 4 spin-offs like that was <laughs> same with uh uh um the arena games and mm-hmm. especially pretty bad in the dancing all night games mm-hmm. and and I don't mind that I mean I I'm not reading these as big things i'm not playing these games as like pieces of shakespearean literature in an ap class or something where i'm analyzing everything i'm like (laughs) i'm just like you know they're they're funny whatever um but no i i I really enjoyed that game you know that the limiting of going to places at night or not going to places at night and those things i guess i felt it kind of limited but i wasn't trying to platinum it or you know what? I, I never felt like I couldn't do what I needed to do. So maybe that was something the Golden um, Edition did a little bit better. Uh, 
I haven't got very far in the Persona 5, so I don't know Yeah, they try to mitigate it in Persona 5 by having a confidant who, if you go through, like, I don't know, two or three levels of their thing, it'll... Uh, it'll let you go out at night to do other stuff. Okay, I, I think I remember that. And then when you switch. when you new game plus it, you just do uh, one. If you just do uh, their confidant mission, the first one, it'll unlock every one that you've already unlocked. Like all of the all the skills you've obtained from doing that confidant the first time. Okay. So yeah, I mean, this was this was my intro to the Vita, really. I mean, I got the Vita and kind of right away just plopped this in. I picked it up twenty dollars new at the time, and I just had a ball. Something like I said, probably eighty hours into it, and it for a good month, month and a half, two months, it was definitely something I was playing two, three hours a day. Just really enjoyed it, and then here I have, haven't played another Persona game more than ten hours since. But uh, I will, I will. I, I want to get to three, and just uh, last week, uh, one of the other podcasts I listened to had done uh, RPG Fans Retro Encounter. Their last two episodes were about Persona 2, and I think two of the people had played it before, two of the people hadn't, and they played through it within a month's time and recorded the podcast pretty much as they were going through and one of the guys, and I thought this was the highest praise at the end, one of the guys is like, man, I absolutely couldn't stand the repetitive, boring combat in it. Like, it wasn't the good combat I, I'm used to with the later games and whatever. He goes, but holy shit, this is one of my favorite games still. So I was like, oh my god, do I need to put Persona 2 on my list? <laughs> I still haven't played yeah, 3 I, and 5. I tried, I tried going back to 3, and I was actually kind of stunned by how tough it was, because it's the the PlayStation 2 version you don't have control of your other party members mm-hmm. but you but you have access to like the epilogue and then in the PS you know the PSP version you don't get to roam around the the school or the locations uh only in the dungeons i believe you can ro- roam around and mm-hmm. you get but you get the um the femsi the female main character and i heard she has like the best social links but you also don't get the uh, the epilogue in that game. Mm. And I don't think it has... I don't think there's um, a dub for it. Like, I don't think characters speak in that game. I think. No, they I'm do. I'm not sure. Okay, okay. All right, well, since you brought that up, I'll, I'll do uh kind of segue here into the dancing games, and then you can go on with your next game, Evan, because yeah. I think... Uh, well, we all played Persona 4G. Uh Zachary, you've not done any of the dancing games, have you? <laughs> no, no. I'll, I'll take that as a no. <laughs> no. All right. Well, uh, I've actually I, I reviewed Persona Five. No, Persona Three's dancing one for RP Gamer. I did that about a year and a half ago, and then went back this year and I beat five and four and I, I had fun with them all again all the characters it was just spending time with the characters and I, I've played all these characters in persona Q persona Q2 I haven't played persona 3 persona 5 but I kind of know the cast because now I'm playing all their side entries and dancing with them over and over again you start a series by playing all these fan service games that's supposed <laughs> to celebrate the characters that you've grown to love over 100 hours <laughs> And yet I have played 10 hours of Persona 5 and haven't even touched Persona 3 yet. So, But I, I liked all the dancing games. I want to say uh, the fourth one with the story, it was a little bit too much. 
I was like, you know what? I've played three. I played five where it's just, hey, we're here to dance because that's the thing. We're, we're, we got to dance and work together and beat the other team because three and five came out as a pair of games. And as you're doing the three, you're supposed to be so-and-so competing with another group of people. Um, and I, I just, I loved all three of them. Um, again, surprisingly, I had to listen to the music for all of them. I, <laughs> there, there were tracks that I enjoyed. I, um, to get through all three with their 10 hours, 12 hours each there, uh, if you just go to get credits, but there's a lot of other stuff to do. And Evan, I know you've, uh, like maxed them out. I don't know if you've, uh, platinum. Yeah. So, uh, the platinums are actually pretty easy to get. Like, I think if you look at the, um, the percentages, like 30% of people get all the, the platinums. Cause you, you pretty much need to get the platinum to unlock, um, all night mode, which is the hardest difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, I ha- I personally have mixed feelings about those games. I love them. I think they're great. I enjoy playing them. I get excited every time they come out. But they they can be somewhat frustrating with their gameplay. Like you've probably noticed this. You could be doing absolutely stunning, simply amazing. You're almost at the end, but then you make one stumble and your meter goes all the way down. And even if you finish the song without failing, you didn't get enough to pass the song. Oh yeah, there, that happened. That's that's incredibly rare in a in a rhythm game. I've never seen that happen. You either fail the game entirely for missing too many, too too frequently, too fast, or mm-hmm. I've even played some games where you literally can't fail. Like, but I've never seen one where you do almost the entire song perfectly and then you miss seven or eight you know notes in a row, and then you, it was just too late into the song you can't recover. Yeah, I I mean, these were the first rhythm games I've ever played. Honestly, they're the only ones I've ever played um, other than uh, a couple hours with the uh, was it Senran Kagura cooking. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to hear that. <laughs> we know what he we was don't have to get for. <laughs> we don't have to get too deep into bone up a teat. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I have never played a rhythm game other than gosh, what is it? You know, we've all played a rock band or something at somebody's house. Guitar Hero ten years yeah. ago or something. Guitar Hero three, so the best one. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, like I, I have sat down and like, okay, I'm gonna play this entire game and like clear it and roll credits and whatever. Um, until I randomly got the review code to do it, and now I've gone back and done all three of them. But uh, well, see, yeah, I, it surprised a, me that I was a lot. That I was like, crap, why am I dying? Like I did, I got ninety eight percent of the damn notes. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was always really wild to me, and I also like I actually felt the opposite about the story. I actually really like the story of Persona Four Dancing. Um, maybe not the first half where it's just repetitive, and it's oh I'll help this person by dancing. I did it. They face their shadow. Let's go to the next person. Mm-hmm. But when you hit the part where it becomes about Dojima, Nanako, and Konami, I think it was her name. Uh, once it becomes those characters, like, oh, wow, this is actually interesting. I'm actually enjoying the story. Never thought I'd be interested in a story where most of the heavy lifting was from Nanako. <laughs> <laughs> the Juna song, man, that, it, it touches the hearts of many people. Oh, yeah. She, she, she does that song. They do the uh, Japanese version of that Juna song. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was really weird. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, I thought it was pretty cool that as you keep unlocking songs, they have like, and 
it's distracting as hell though um they have like live videos from huge persona music concerts in japan yeah and yeah i was like oh this is an interesting thing that i would probably never in my life take myself to but i'm like i'm trying to watch like the video in the background while ten thousand freaking notes are flying at me and (laughs) yeah bright lights are flashing all over the place Uh oh my gosh that was actually that was actually another issue i had with those games where i if you i can't remember what it was but when you hit the part where um a partner comes on to dance with you you become uh impervious to failing unless you completely miss a note and Mm -hmm. you'll you're you'll keep the uh the combo going but it's still considered not a a perfect even if you've kept the combo going, if you if yes. you've got like a good rating, like if it's perfect, great, good, and you hit a good where it's supposed to break the combo, but it doesn't because you're in this like state because you're dancing with a uh, a partner, like you don't mm-hmm. notice. I did like a incredibly hard song on all night mode, and I was like, oh my god, I cannot believe I got a perfect combo on this. And then they said, oh, amazing. I'm like, ah. <laughs> it was so frustrating. It was like almost it was like six, seven hundred notes. I think it was crazy. And then see me. There's um, a lot of different options you can open as you go through. Um, you know, there's no items or whatever. But there's a lot of unlockable stuff. A lot of it's costumes in these games. Um, but there's unlockable difficulty things that you can do, like have the music notes go backwards or at variable speeds. Um, and there's positive ones oh, yeah. and there's negative ones. There's this, there's or this they one have the notes like, fade in and out so that you're like, oh my god, there's a note just popping up. There's I this one that guy like, on YouTube, just one gamer, I think. He will be like, you watch his videos, he's doing it like on all night mode with all of those like multipliers on to make the game harder where like you can't see any of the notes. I was oh, like, oh my god, how is this guy doing this? And he's getting all the notes perfect. It's like, oh, oh, I'm getting a headache watching this. And see, I would always, I think the notes backwards or like reversed. To me, that didn't even, I didn't understand what that did. Like, Wasn't there I one where they, like, they, they move backwards and forwards and they kind of look like they're going to you, but they're not and or something like that? Or they like, they're going really fast and really slow or they're. Yeah, there was a variable speed one. But yeah, yeah I would always, I would always turn on the one where. The goods didn't break my combo. I would turn that one on that, and that, like, I'd lost 20% of my score by that, but I would turn on enough of the difficulty ones to bring it back up to 100. I could always balance it out, so I wasn't really getting punished too much by doing that. So That was actually like, another issue with those games, though, because um, usually when they introduce those kinds of difficulty settings, um, you're supposed to be able to follow the beat of the song, whereas with these... For some reason, the Persona games, they the, the the buttons you're pressing are almost acting like a separate instrument, like this that that snapping noise it's making. That it's not in it's not with the beat of the song. It's acting like it's a extra instrument in the song. Mm-hmm. So when there's all these like variables to make it harder, the idea is you're supposed to be able to ignore all of this stuff and just be able to focus on the beat of the song while you're hitting all the notes. But that's not really what you do in these Persona games, if that makes any sense. It does. I'm again, you know, some of them, 
there were times where I would turn the volume all the way down so I could literally just focus on what the things were coming. I didn't do it often, but I think it was with those difficulty settings. Like I was getting to the point where I'm tapping my foot, but, you know, tapping my foot to the beat wasn't really what I was tapping my fingers on the controllers. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the song has a completely different beat from what the... The, the 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 notes are doing like the song might go it might be doing that but then you're going you like the 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 sound of the note hitting is completely different from the actual song that's playing mm-hmm. did you play any of these on ps4 so i was i was originally going to play uh uh p3 and p5 on vita if i could because i'm just better at um, rhythm games and a handheld. That's why I like the Vita so much. I'm better at the uh, at the rhythm games. Uh, but they, I wasn't a fan of them not having physical releases, and I actively avoid buying digital games on Vita because of how large they are and how little space they have mm-hmm. on a memory card. So I was let's just try the demo for the PlayStation Four, and I actually was like kind of shocked. I was doing pretty good on them. So I just bought them for PlayStation 4, and I was I was actually kind of surprised. I did pretty well. I even managed to uh, get perfects. I guess they're called King Crazy in, um, in these rhythm games. I got managed to get King Crazies in uh, some of the harder songs on hard difficulty, not all night mode, but on like, the hardest difficulty. I was, like, I was not doing this well on uh, uh, Persona 4 Dancing All Night. Uh, I, I, I was going to say, I asked that because um, I did do the demos for I think three and five on my PS4. And I think it was even before I got the Vita code and man, it was, I, I felt kind of what you're saying. You, you usually do better on the Vita. I, I did way better on the Vita. I don't know if it was because I'm kind of almost staring at my hands at the same time I'm playing the Vita. Um, whereas PS4, I'm looking up and not, yeah. I mean, had I kept going, I'm sure I would have figured it out more, but also, I ended up doing all three of these on Vita. With, uh, say, like, I played one of the Hatsune Miku Project Diva games on PlayStation 3 one time, and it was a complete mess. I don't know if it was just the difficulty <laughs> of that particular game, but it was like, it's a very, I'm playing on a big screen, and the notes fly all over the screen, so your eyes have to track where everything is going. And there's just something inherently different about the way a PlayStation 3 and 4 controller feels compared to the tight closeness of the Vita. Like your fingers are just mm-hmm. like so close together and they can just get so, they can move all across the controller so easily compared to a PlayStation 4 controller. Well, go ahead if you want to talk about uh, some of your other rhythm games or whatever else you had there. Well, okay, so, like, a crazy thing about the, the Vita was it had actually quite a few rhythm games. It had at least, like, I want to say over a dozen. Um, but the weird thing was most of them didn't get physical releases. Like, I think they had to rely, for the most part, the ones that did came out from limited run games. Like, mm-hmm. they, they did the Bon Appetit Sunrun Kagura one. They did Demo Last Recital. They did Musings. But then you have, like, uh, then you have, like, Taiko no Tatsujin V version, which is like a, the Taiko Drum Master game. Uh, I found that out that existed yesterday when I was looking this up. Um, that that didn't have a physical release at all. There was one called IAVT Colorful, which didn't get a physical release in the U.S., but the the developers specifically made the uh, the menus in English so that you could import it. So it's an it's a English 
friendly game and mm -hmm. back off physical release, but it's Japan exclusive. Um, I think the only ones that really had physical releases in the US were all, were all but the first Hatsune Miku Project Diva games, the, the one Persona game, uh, DJ Max Technica Tune, Super Beat Zon, and you know, the killer app Michael Jackson The Experience. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Ported up from the PS2 version. Michael Jackson, the experience. Was there an age limit to that game? <laughs> Apparently, it was a meme. If you're over 12, don't play this. <laughs> yeah. It was a meme in the Vita community for a while. Apparently, <laughs> just being a meme made it a little bit more expensive on eBay for a while. <laughs> yeah, like, I was, like, Demo, like, I really loved the aesthetic and the music in Demo. But I don't know what it is with the PM Studio rhythm games where I feel like half the notes don't register when I hit them. So, like, if I'm trying to get a perfect score, it's not going to happen. Because I have to, like, sit in a weird position, lay the Vita on a hard surface, and tap with my fingers to be able to get a decent score. And that's just so stressful and painful. And Demo was started out as a, a, um, a phone game, and it was like a... You know, pay five dollars more to unlock this part of the story, or this these many songs, or whatever. So, and they didn't paste the the handheld or console version correctly. Like, so it's you have to like level grind to get new songs and new stages and new parts of the story. And the more you play the song, the less you get out of the like, less experience or whatever you got out of it. So you'd have to play like the same six songs like 70 times before you unlock like two more songs and it was like oh my god why is this so annoying it was I, I was like primed to love this game and it was just like kind of stressful how a you could turn a rhythm game into a level grindy experience they found a way yeah then you have games like musinks which had like 90 songs built in with like i want to say they were doing free dlc throughout and the vita version had like devastating load times like it took forever to, to after you finish a song to load back onto the screen and pick a new song and it had a very strange glitch when i first played it where um when you when you're sliding through songs you can you know pr it'll preview what the song sounds like after a while if you i don't know if you change the difficulty or move through too many songs you've played the game long enough the song the songs just stop previewing when you're picking songs so it's just dead silence on the menu and it was also the game i experienced the most crashes on i would just like it would just crash like that Ugh. yeah so like pm studios have all these like beautiful looking games with great music but they were always very stressful or hard to control experience i think the only one i ever had like a lot of fun with was uh super beat zonic which is i don't know it was it's been a while since i played it but i remember it was it was like sort of like all this dance club music and it had like a dance club music aesthetic and there was like a DJ guy in the background going, level up, perfect. <laughs> like funny noises like that. And it was oh, funny. Yeah, and it was like, oh, here it's it's like, oh, here's this world stage or here's that world stage. And there was like music from this country, music from that country. And it had a very I don't know. I think that was like the best one. It utilized more of the uh, buttons, like a demo and music you had you, you had to tap for the most part to play it well. Whereas um, you could just press buttons on your screen. And if you ever look up people playing the game and they show a visual of them physically holding the Vita, it's absolutely nuts. It almost doesn't even look like they're touching the, the Vita, the way their hands are just flying across all the buttons. Hmm. Yeah, but my uh, when it comes to 
rhythm novel, rhythm novels, rhythm games. My heart. <laughs> rhythm novels. <laughs> Experience. We got a story, whole new genre. The song. <laughs> uh, my heart belongs to the uh, Project Diva games, which is surprising because I bought it like when it was on sale shortly after I got my Vita, expecting to like meme on it, thinking, "Oh, these games will be so funny," and "Oh, what a weeaboo!" And then I play it and like, "Oh, actually, gameplay is pretty good, and I don't hate a couple of these songs." And <laughs> Um, I mean, the first one was kind of rough because, like, you don't want to do anything else in the game but actually play the songs. Like, they have a lot of other stuff, like, oh, you can create your own music video, I think. (laughs) Um, I remember you could dress up the characters, but it was kind of a cumbersome process. And they had, like, rooms you could visit, and all these other features were just so nothing. And it was kind of annoying to get to them, and you just wanted to jump right in and do the songs. And there was... It had like the perfect number of songs. It had like between twenty and thirty, and I like was able to remember like all these songs. Like I, I, I remember every like almost every song in that game perfectly. It's like, oh, I want to listen to uh, World's End Umbrella or you know God Tier Tune or something. Like they had so many great songs in there that I can remember by name. Like oh, I want to play Stay with Me or whatever. Um, whereas like. The later ones are okay. I actually think the one that came out in Switch was one of the best ones in a while, but I don't remember most of the songs and they weren't very memorable. Like I actually have some of the songs from the first game like on my phone to listen to on my ride to work. I There's maybe one or two songs I, I that were brand new to me that I heard in the, the new Switch one that was like, oh, that's a great song. So it's been coming all downhill from here since, uh, since the first one on the V. <laughs> Although X was pretty good, I know people didn't like that it had a story mode, but I liked the story mode. It had like, it had challenge and difficulty to it, like, oh, do this thing with this much energy meter, or put on these hard settings, like what we were talking about with uh, the Persona dancing games, how you can you can add like modifiers to make the game more, more difficult or more easy. You could do that with mm-hmm. uh, uh, Hatsune Miku Project Diva X. Um, stuff like that. And yeah, the <laughs> story mode wasn't great. It was pretty generic. We can do anything when we have friends type thing, but <laughs> I was glad they added it, basically. I'm glad it was there. Nice. Yeah. All right, Zachary, you want to uh, go to the next one on your list? Yeah, you know what? Since we were talking about rhythm games, I'm going to keep that going with uh, the rhythm yeah, game I wanted to talk about, uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer. This isn't one that uh, is a Vita exclusive game. It's available on a lot of other consoles, but it was one that I I played it on the Vita originally, and I put the most time into that version. And like, I, I have the Switch version. I honestly think the Vita version actually plays a little bit better. I'll be totally honest. It's got a bit of a load time problem for if you're connected to the internet, but it's... I, I kind of prefer the handheld one <laughs> on the Vita. But anyway, so with uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer, it's um, kind of a weird combination of genres. Like, you guys know about roguelites, like um, The Binding of Isaac or stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the Crypt of the Necrodancer is essentially a roguelite mixed with a rhythm game. So the game starts out with you playing as uh, the character Cadence and how it works within this crypt of the Necrodancer, which is where the entire game takes place. uh, Everything is dictated by the beat of the music. So all the enemies have to move in time with the music. You move in time with the music. um, Bosses have to do it. So everything goes by that. And as you start to kill enemies, as you're exploring through, you'll start getting combos. You'll get more amounts of gold. You'll find more diamonds to buy 
uh, permanent upgrades at like outside of the dungeons. And uh, as you're going through, what's cool about the game is that, like the higher your combo gets against enemies, like the more sort of special effects start playing on the screen. Like you can toggle them off if you find them distracting. Like one of my favorite things is that it's called Disco Floor, where the floors, like the floor panels, because it's, it's played on a grid by grid basis, because you can only move like up, down, left, and right. Uh, for getting combos, the floor will start flashing between different colors. Like on the first set of floors, it'll flash between like uh, like some of the blocks will flash pink, some of the blocks will flash green, and, and as you keep getting the combo higher, it keeps getting like more and more intense. Sort of be like, hey, yeah, you're getting into the beat. So like it's like the whole dungeon is sort of uh, getting into that same rhythm and beat and sort of groove that you were with the with the combo system. So it's cool how they implemented that and sort of get you to keep playing along with the beats of the songs themselves. And what's nice about this game too is that if you don't want to play it's just your standard character cadence, uh, you have a lot of other options as play for playable characters too. Like if you just want to play the game and play it more, a bit more just like a roguelite where you're just kind of exploring and finding upgradable gear and different weapons and things like that, you can pick the bard character who doesn't have to worry about the beat of the songs. He just kind of does his own thing, can move at his own pace. And the nice thing is too, the enemies also will move only when he moves. So that's a bit of an easier mode if you just want to kind of play it for more of the roguelite stuff. Uh, you have some characters who they can't touch, like the monk character, he has poverty, or oh, I forget the exact name for it, but essentially he can't touch any gold. So he touches gold, he loses health. You have characters that like double the beat of the, the song. So like instead of the song going like one, two, three, four, their beats like one, two, three, four. I don't know if you can hear my clapping or not, but essentially it's like going like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And uh, there's just some different uh, player options depending on what you're looking for from the game. Like there's one where you have to use a character who can only use bombs. One is a character who can only take one hit, but she can kill enemies in one hit. So you have to be really careful when you're playing. The big and glass different... cannon. Yeah, <laughs> b yeah, basically. And what's funny enough is that it's actually, there is a bit of a story to this game where uh, Cadence is trying to find out more about this crypt because her family's taken care of it for generations. She stumbles into it on accident, so she ends up falling into the curse of the crypt. And she then uncovers like what sort of happened to her family, how they all have been affected by this crypt themselves. And what's funny is that you talking about the glass cannon, that's actually her grandma, Arya, that you get to play as when you unlock her from beating the game with certain characters. Because she'll ha like all like some of the characters don't have cutscenes as you get to certain floors, like every layer of the crypt is about three to four floors, just depending on, uh, I think what difficulty you have on if I remember right. And every time you beat a boss at the end of one of these sections, you get a little cutscene. So like with Cadence, you get to see like what sort of led her to going to the crypt in the first place. When you unlock playing as her mom as a later character, you see like how she ended up going into the crypt and how her family, how, how she sort of witnessed her family and her husband who was taking care of it at the time when they got married, how it affected him and sort of like strained their relationship. So it, you, it's not very long cut scenes. I think they're maybe like a, maybe a minute, minute and a half, depending on which character it is. But it's nice that you get a little bit of story with these characters. So you're like, oh, okay, this is why, you know, this is so important to them or who this character might be. And it's interesting with the, with one of the characters you can play as, because when you start to piece together, like what he looks like and what one of the bosses looks like, you realize like, oh, I, this is actually a bad guy the whole time, <laughs> but it doesn't like flat out tell you. So it's, it's more subtle storytelling with some of the stuff, but you also have times where it will give you a little bit of more of a history lesson of sorts with particular characters. It just 
you know, if you're looking for something with a bit of story, you have your characters for it. If you're just looking to play and have a bit of a challenge, you got your options there too. And what's nice about this game is you get a lot of soundtrack options. You have the main soundtrack, which is by Danny, I don't remember his last name, like Babofsky, I think like, or something like that. And it's a really cool sort of techno type of soundtrack. And it changes up a little bit with every different floor you do and every uh, different like stratum of the crypt that you explore. Like when you get into uh, one of my favorite parts is the third area, which is like a a fire cave mixed with an ice cave. So you have two sides of the dungeon on every floor that you can go back and forth between to try and figure out how to get to the stairs to uh, descend down to the next floor. And depending on what side of the dungeon you're on, like if you're on the fiery side, you get a lot much more heavy metal, like stronger guitar sort of sound. And if you're on the ice side, you get a much like sort of chill, more heavy drums and techno sound sort of percussion, kind of just depending on what side you're on. It's a cool mechanic that they did that. And if you're like right on the cusp between the two, you can hear both of them sort of playing off of each other. It's really impressive, actually, that they did that. I, I like that a lot about that area of the game. And um, <laughs> what's cool about that part, too, is I don't know if you guys know this guy from YouTube, but there's a guitarist named Family Jewels who's on there. And he actually helped provide the soundtrack or helped provide some of the songs on the soundtrack for this game in particular. Like one of the songs he has for the Reaper, like the Reaper boss you can come across. He plays the song for that one. He does the guitar work for the fireside of the ice and fire caves. And it's it's cool to see him in there because I've seen some of his uh, video game covers on YouTube and some of the stuff he's been with. Like uh, for anyone who's ever seen the Runaway Guys, he usually appears on there when they do like their Coliseum events every year. And it's cool. It was cool seeing or rather hearing his own or like original takes on some of the music when he like was working with this Danny guy, instead of just doing like video game covers or doing like maybe like the odd let's play or something like that. I definitely want to give the Canes of Hyrule a try sometime. I do too. That looks really cool. <laughs> maybe someday I'll finish a game with Zelda in it. It is. <laughs> And I was so glad, too, with that game that they actually made the merchant a playable character. Oh, so that's when, awesome. So when you play Crypt of the Necrodancer, as you're exploring through, uh, the music usually stays the same throughout. But then as you start getting into certain areas, you'll start hearing, like, a singing voice that's going, like, like if he sings along with the beat of the song, he'll be like, oh, 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 Like, you'll hear that, and you're like, what the <laughs> heck is that? Well, you go into the shop. It's the shopkeeper singing along with the music. And if you go in there and stay in there, he'll sing along with the entire song that plays. Like, I have the official soundtrack from uh, 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 iTunes from the original release of the game. And they actually have, like, as the second, like, CD of the digital version, it's all the versions of the songs with the, with the merchant singing along with it. <laughs> it's, it's really cool. And um, one thing I forgot to mention with this game, like, if you play as Cadence... Um, because this is a rhythm game and the idea is you want to get to the stairs before the song ends, you need to try and get there because if the song gets to the last beat of the song and it ends up, you know, stopping before you reach the stairs and can properly descend, the game will drop you down into a pit. And when you then uh, the, the next song starts up on the next floor, you're pretty much surrounded by all of the strongest enemies that that area of the game can throw at you. So <laughs> oh you got to be really cool. Yeah, it's the game doesn't get too punishing i don't think i mean it's a roguelite so there's times where it's going to be hard just because of how the seeds work but anytime that you get like you can't finish a song properly and get to the end of a dungeon before the song ends uh yeah good luck on the next floor you're gonna need it 
Like, there was one time where I accidentally wasn't paying attention to the beat of the song, and I didn't realize it was getting towards the end until the last second. I ended up dropping down to a floor. There's a red dragon to the south, a green dragon to the north, and they're like four square monsters, so it's really hard to avoid them. And then there's a bunch of uh, ghost enemies that can chase after you, and... It it just got nuts. I'm I, I don't think I survived. I think I killed the ghost, but one of the dragons got me. <laughs> it, it's a fun game, though. I definitely would recommend it if you like rhythm games and if you're kind of looking for something, you know, a little bit more different, a little bit more with like yeah, rogue, yeah. with some roguelite elements. It's it is a fun time. I've gotten it cheap on like I got it cheap on the on the Vita. I think I've put like fifty or sixty hours into it. I love playing that game. Oh it's, wow! It's, yeah, it's it's got a great soundtrack. It's fun. I want to say that's a game. Characters. That you can easily pick up for like five dollars on PSN every now and then. Oh yeah, it, like I think I got. If I'm not for, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say I think I that's one I remember seeing all the time. If I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah, it's 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 definitely worth that price too. Like you can get so much time out of it. There's so much content to it, and you know if you're looking for it on a bit more of a modern system. The Switch version is pretty good, too. I would just personally recommend that if you play it, especially in handheld mode, try and get a Joy-Con with a actual D-pad because the like the face buttons on the left one just they just don't feel comfortable to use that when trying to like when you like that's why I like the Vita version so much more because the D-pad feels very nice and the game is very responsive with that D-pad versus like what the Switch or something else has because it's it's all about movement with that game you got to keep moving you got to stay with the beat of the song because if you stop moving you end up losing your combo real fast so it, it you want it you want good controls for this game and it's it's definitely well worth picking up absolutely yeah i'm not i'm not big on the uh the joy con at least for the switch like i was playing like what was it the missing yesterday and that's just a uh puzzle adventure game whatever you know it's like a side scroller you solve a puzzle move on to the next area but there's like large swaths where you're just moving forward with nothing happening and i can feel my fingers sliding on the on the uh an, on the analog stick while i'm while i'm moving so i have to like readjust my finger constantly when all i'm doing is moving to the right jeez and there's like a clicking noise too like whenever i play i don't know if it's just pokemon let's go but i feel like whenever i try to go down you stop running hmm. do you ever experience that cuz whenever i tried to go down i'd stop running i'd have to like move in i have to like w- move like, move around a little bit to be able to keep my my speed going See, I have that Joy-Con drift problem for my left one, so like I can be playing something on in handheld mode, and next thing I know, oh, my character's moving off towards the north. Or if it's a top-down game, they're moving straight up, and I'm I'm not doing anything. I'm not touching it. <laughs> yeah, I had, that, I had that clicking problem when you move it to the left. You hear a clicking noise. A left and down is a click noise. Hmm. Yeah, I had a uh, the drift on mine, and then I ended up selling it during the uh, pandemic. So sorry, dude. But <laughs> yeah, so I like the Vita. It, it feels comfy. It feels like it's actual piece of hardware, nice and sturdy. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's incredibly lightweight though. I can sit there for hours. I remember like my my hands would hurt and I would get a headache even when I'm playing it in 2D <laughs> mode for the 3DS. And see, I've got grips for every one of my systems. I got 3DS grips for actually both my 3DSs. I got a grip for the Vita. I bought the. Um, for the Switch now, I bought two of them. One for my Switch, one for my Switch Lite. Um, my wife and kids both like it too. Uh, the Satisfy one that is asymmetrical. The angles of that you hold it at, the one on the right is a larger angle. It's almost closer to like a 45 degree angle where the one on the left is closer to a 90 degree angle. Um, so, and geez, with the switch, even you were talking about like your fingers sliding off. I bought, um, when I got them also, I got little like rubber things that can go over the 
analog sticks. And man, the ones I have for my Switch Lite are awesome. They are chunky and uh, they've never even like rotated at all. Like it's a nice, my analog sticks are, they're big and chunky and easy to move. So I, I, I can't enough say get something for that at the Vita one has been fine. I haven't put anything on that other than the power grip. But I know, uh, Zachary, you got the one that used to charge the battery. I say yep. used to. <laughs> yeah, so I got that one but mainly because like, I noticed with some of the games that I was playing, like normally I didn't play too much like for 3d like intensive games but if i did i noticed it drained the battery fast so i found a power grip thing that it gave you a nice grip to hold on to as you're playing it and it also it was something that you could like plug in it would give you like an extra four or five hours of playtime with the vita you know depending on what you're playing and for whatever reason mm-hmm. like it just stopped holding a charge i don't know what happened see the vita is like the the battery is kind of like one of its selling points like I don't think I've touched Galgun since I told you guys about it on the den what a month ago, but yeah. it's been in sleep mode and I can turn it on right now and the battery's still like at half charge. Yes, I will say that's good. Now I do have two Vitas because like a year later I went back and got the upgraded one, but um, and again found some guy on Facebook Marketplace for like ninety bucks. He advertised it with a sixty-four gigabyte card and then. When I met there, it was only a 32. I'm like, eh. I heard the um, 64s aren't great either. I've heard that they, um, they're more prone to corrupting save data. And yeah, at the time, I was like, well, whatever. This is already double the one I have on mine. And most of the games I was buying, I'd buy one. I'd download it digitally, play it. And when I rolled credits, I'd delete it off. And now that I've got mine hacked and have 200 gigabytes of space on the one, um, my 16 gigabyte one actually crapped out. But it crapped out after... I got it hacked, so it, it really didn't matter. I didn't lose anything. Um, but I ended up buying it. The guy took like $10 off on the spot. He's like, oh, well, I thought it was a 64. Sorry, I really hadn't opened it up in years. <laughs> Shows how much he used it. I mean, the thing was like in mint condition. So I've got two Vitas. Um, I may talk to my buddy soon and offer to uh, just give him my uh, old Vita. He's been dying for my OLED Vita. But <laughs> I've got um, I've got some dead areas on there, or not really dead, but they're going dimmer. When I see black, I can see splotches on the screen, like areas of pixels that aren't as black as other ones. Um, I can't really even notice it when there's colors or there's motion on the screen. I don't even notice it. It's more like the loading screens where it's black. I'm like, oh, I can see something there. Um, no, this guy I know that hacked it for me. I'm like, you know what? I wonder if he could just, oh, I know he can. I'm like, I'd rather he hack my new one. Just move everything over to the new one. I don't need two Vitas in my life. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, maybe he could hack my 3D. I don't know if he knows how to do the 3DS hacking, but I really want to get a 3DS hacked, um, to play some of the translated, uh, Dragon Quest games on it natively, instead of having to just play it on Citra emulators on the, uh computer because i love my handhelds and i'm addicted to my vita and 3ds and switch light now yeah i mean it's so. I, I i picked up my switch like seven times more than i've ever touched my playstation 4 to be quite honest just mm-hmm. because i can so easily pick it up put it down and just switch to new games like that like i like thankfully like there's a lot of storage space compared to the wii u oh, yeah. and memory cards are thankfully pretty cheap so i actually don't mind buying lots of digital games on my switch as compared to my vita um and they're easier to switch out and easier to format and easier to swap around whatever uh so i don't mind buying too many large um uh digital games so i can just like pop right into any game whenever i want to okay i'm done playing the missing time to play um i don't know bioshock one or two or something Mm -hmm. yeah 
That was I kind just of... love sleep modes. I mean, you can't put game to sleep. <laughs> yeah, and you, you PS4. Yeah, and you found out a few times that sleep mode is always not the best option either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, although I will say, man, even the Vita, when it like dies, dies, the battery is gone so much that you can't turn it on. Um, I've plugged it in, you know, given it a couple hours, go, and the game's still there. <laughs> yeah, that like, happened to me one time. I was like panicking because I was I was playing some game. And I was like, oh no, I've lost all my save. I've I've been playing for like forty hours without turning it off. I was like freaking out. And they plugged it in. I was like, oh wait, it's still playing. Oh thank God. It like yep. it like forces it into sleep mode and then turns off. Yeah, yeah. I, so bless you, Vita, for that too. Yeah, and it charges really quickly too. Like you can get a full charge in like maybe like what. 45 minutes an hour oh, really? it is pretty quick i hadn't used my vita in quite a while and like when we first started planning out this episode i charged mine up again i tried turning it on but i don't want to turn back on so i charged up i think it maybe only took like an hour hour and a half it did not take very long at all it yeah very fast the battery life's pretty good too just when you're playing it not like i think it can, it can go for quite a few hours it's like probably a little bit longer than a 3ds mm-hmm. oh definitely yeah definitely i would agree with that like, I've been able to play, like, maybe five, six hours on a game without having to charge it after it's been fully charged. Mm-hmm. I don't remember and, what I played that I bought that grip for in the first place. I think I bought it more so just to have a proper grip because, uh, Matt, was that in 2017 or 2018 that you and I both got one? Because I know we... It was 2017 that I got mine, and I think you were not long afterwards because okay. i think we both played trails in the sky that fall yeah i i think i bought the grip because at the time i was having trouble with one of my uh one of my elbows i guess i had damaged a nerve in it or something and it was causing me a lot of discomfort to hold anything that was super flat so i think i bought that grip so i purposely had something to use the vita so i could hold it more comfortably and play it but mm-hmm. um I don't, yeah, I don't remember why I bought it for the charger thing, but I, there was something I played, I remember, where it did kind of take the battery down pretty quick. It might have been Metal Gear Solid 3 on this on the Vita, because I think, you know, that's a pretty graphic-intensive game, even on that system. So maybe that was why. I, I don't remember. But, yeah, I, 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 I will agree with you guys that the Vita definitely has a really good battery, and I do like that it'll actually keep your progress if, some, if it happens to die on you. So I had that happen with a fighting game one time. It's like, oh, no, I gotta redo the arcade mode. And luckily loaded up on like stage seven or eight when i got it charged back up it's like okay good i didn't lose my data <laughs> i remember like back in the day with the ds and 3ds i was so used to the sleep bo- sleep mode being so pointless not even using it and then like i assumed that was going to be the situation with the vita and i remember i was i i had had it for maybe two months and i had been to the final boss of persona 4 golden and i had to put it down halfway through the boss battle because i was in the last stage of the boss battle to go off and do something and i was like panicking i was like oh my god i'm putting this down for like 30 40 minutes what if the game turns off while you know i would never access to my charger what if the game turns off you know the battery dies while i'm gone i was panicking i come back and i was like oh it's it's fine I was like, I was so used, I was, I was so used to uh, the Stockholm syndrome of the terrible battery of, or the of the the sleep mode of the DS and 3DS. That I didn't realize it, it could be good. Oh, and see, I I always had, I was fine with the DS and 3DS. No, I always, I, even now, I don't, I don't really trust the sleep mode unless it's plugged into something. <laughs> like if I, if, I, if I have it charging, I'll have it in sleep mode sometimes. But like I, I've had some instances where 
it goes out after maybe like two, three hours, four hours in sleep mode. Mm. There is, sleep mode can be funny with some DS games. They didn't really do it much with the 3DS, but with certain DS games, when you would close the game, it would they would make like a sound to let you know when to sleep mode. One of my favorites was, um, I think it was Mario versus Donkey Kong, uh, the first one that was on the, on the DS. Whenever you would close it, Mario would always yell out and be like, Hey, come back here, you big monkey, or something like that. Like he's yelling at, <laughs> like he's yelling at Donkey Kong that you closed the system and you had to step away. That that was always my favorite one. Just him going, "Hey, come back here, where are you going?" <laughs> I think they did that with New Super Mario Bros. too. He's like, "Bye bye," or something oh, like that. Yeah, they might have. I know with the Mario games, they especially like doing that because oh, there was one other one. I think it was Mario Hoops Three on Three, if I remember right. Like when you shut the 3DS, they're like. Okay, see you later, or something like that. <laughs> Mario just really wants you to keep playing. <laughs> uh, all right, let me let me get into my next uh, batch of games, and we'll circle back to you guys after that. Because um, I think most of the Vita titles, and definitely the most time I've put into the Vita in terms of uh, a couple games, have been with the uh, Legend of Heroes series from Falcom. Uh, after I got the Vita, I played Persona 4. Um, I was like, okay, well, what other RPGs could I do? And this is, uh, Zachary, this is right when you got it. And we did our first, like, hey, let's try to play a game in a series that we've never played before together. And I loaded up the uh, PSP version of the original Trails in the Sky. And I know you bounced off it pretty quickly at the time. Yeah, that, I, I won't go into details, but... Looking back at that, since that that was kind of when things were going a little rough for me with the job I was at at the time, so mm-hmm. I think that was the main culprit for it. But yeah, I I didn't stick with it very long, and I know you kept going for quite a while. Yeah, I, I beat that game, <clears throat> and then quickly thereafter, I was I didn't want to get into the second one right away. I don't know why. I, I wanted to use something on the. I wanted to play a Vita game. I'm like, oh, I want a Vita game for the Vita, and I picked up Trails of Cold Steel and did the first one. And that one, I really had a great time with. I mean, I'm, and then since then, just this year, I've put probably 100 hours into the Japanese versions translated into English, Vita titles. Luckily, with the hacked Vita, I could do this of Trails in the Sky 2 and Trails in the Sky 3. Both of, They're called the uh, Evolution versions. Um, they didn't come out in the United States. Um, I think they are the ones that are on Steam, basically. They're a little bit like of a graphics update from the PSP versions, but they've also got like speed-up options um, and a couple other little features for the Vita titles that aren't in there. And like this whole series, I really enjoy. I can't do it <laughs> back-to-back games for a long time because all of these are incredibly long. I want to say Cold Steel 1 I put 80 hours into. Um in the spring of 2018 and like i said i've probably put a good hundred hours into trails in the sky two and three um since april i'm right up near the end of uh trails in the sky three right now it's uh more of a wrap-up for that part of the series um this overarching trilogy of it's not even a trilogy of trilogies Uh, at this point you've got a Trails in the Sky, one, two, three. Then there are um, the untranslated, kind of got some fan translations going, the Crossbell duology uh, that are Vita only. That I'll, I'll be playing those hopefully within the next six months. I want to get into those. Uh, I know one of them's more just like Google translated, 
One of them I kind of got an early alpha fan translation. They're doing a there's a group out there, Geofront, I want to say, that is doing a really professional job of translating the uh, games for the PC version. And I know there are people that are kind of trying to jimmy that into the Vita versions of it. Um, but they are. Uh, they've sucked me in with the combat the combat reminds me a lot of grandia you got your movement it's turn based there you can see the turn you got the whole little strip going down the side or the bottom showing who's coming up like the next 10 turns are going to belong to these 10 people these enemies uh you can pick your if, if you choose to cast a spell you'll see how far down the turn order you're going to move before you cast that spell um you know there's when you cast speed up in games you know you might go first in a round well you can actually see where that person's going to speed up to um so i like that visual being able to plan out when you're going to do stuff um the special attacks that you can break into the middle of turn orders and just override it all um and just the storytelling in all the legends of heroes games i mean they've now got four cold steel force coming out here in the next month i believe um for playstation 4 and i've got it pre-ordered for next spring on the uh, Switch, but I've still got Trails of Cold Steel 2 to get through on the Vita. I've still got, you know, Trails in the Sky 3 to put another five hours into and finish off. I still got the Crossbell duology, which I hear are 60 to 80 hours each of those games. Um, but out of this whole series of nine games, the first seven are all easily on the Vita. Well, maybe not easily <laughs> with the uh, <laughs> some I've got to play on my hacked ones, but. Uh, <laughs> At least the English releases, you know, Cold Steel 1 and 2 is on the Vita, and uh, Trails in the Sky 1 and 2, the PSP versions are available to play on the Vita. But I I'm going to definitely play all seven of these first games on my Vita, hacked or otherwise. I bought the Cold Steel 1, I bought the Cold Steel 2, and I I've actually ordered, I've had Trails in the Sky 1 and 2 forever on the PSN. And I actually bought Trails in the Sky 3 long for the PC long before I ever got the uh, my Vita hacked. So uh, I've made sure Falcom's got their uh, money. <laughs> I've, got Cold I've already got Cold Steel 3. I got that day of release on the uh, Switch. And Cold Steel 4 is already pre-ordered for the Switch. So I wish they would go back and put like 1 and 2 on there. Well, you, I know they talked about doing that with uh, Crossbell games, I believe, but I don't know if they're going to do that with the Trails in, or in the Sky games. I don't know if they're going to do it with that. Yeah, there's a lot of rumors about those Crossbell games now that they've got, they just recently, in the past month or two, got ported to PS4 over in Japan. Oh, yeah, that's right, they did. I forgot mm -hmm. about that. So, yep, so, I mean, that's an option. Maybe they come to PS4 in the uh, future, but the well, fact I that... They do. I mean... Geofront's out there translating them and doing graphics and doing a really professional job on that game that you can then patch in if you go through this roundabout way of getting a Japanese or a Chinese version through a Chinese online site and then patch in that patch to play it in English on the PC. And I mean, they're out there completely. This is not something I'm sure Falcom or Exceed or whoever's doing all the translations these days see. So you think if they had any idea that they were going to bring this over, you know, they might get a cease and desist on that. But maybe because they're not Square Enix, they don't care. <laughs> I would be so okay. frustrated if I was Falcom or whomever who had to translate these massive tomes of scripts and some 
random person on the internet was doing them totally <laughs> for free and just throwing them out, giving out to giving out to the giving out to everybody. Yeah, steal from the rich, give to the poor. I'd be like so frustrated. Yeah, and that's the other thing with these games. These games, there's just so much. There's so much story over like a nine game series. I mean, they've got this whole, and this is just one continent on a bigger world. And they keep talking about like, oh well, you know, we can expand this to the rest of the world. But you know, each of these games basically takes place in one country in this continent, and the stories are all kind of interrelated. I know the Crossbell games kind of take place simultaneously with like Cross Steel One or Cold Steel One or Two, I believe. Um, yeah, I believe so because I remember when I played Cold Steel One. Um, quick, quick story, quick little backstory for that. I had originally got borrowed uh matt's copy of the game when he got done with it on the vita and he's like oh yeah sure i'll let you uh borrow it so he sent it up to me here in iowa and i ended up playing it and i only got to like chapter three and i'm like yeah this isn't really doing it for me then i get the ps4 version when it came out like like a year or two later and i just got sucked <laughs> into it I, I don't know what the hell happened but <laughs> but <laughs> you um, did you, put a, you went quickly through a lot of time on that I did. I did. You need was... to be in the mood for those. Those are like a lifestyle game. You have to be. You have to be ready to sit down and say, "All right, done with work. Time to play some more Cold Steel or Persona Four or whatever." Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But... I know, uh, Evan. You've joked with me all the time. Like, God, you just fill your games with all these sixty to eighty hour games. Yeah, and you're like, oh yeah, I've played nine or seven or twenty of these Trails of Cold <laughs> Steel's games are eighty hours long. It's like, oh my god, it took me like but three you're months. Right, man, I can only do one or two of them a year. There's so many of them. I'll, I'll yeah. never catch up to the release schedule, which is fine with me. Because <laughs> like, everybody's like, was... like, oh my god, I can't wait to play four. I'm like, eh, I can wait. I still like got I... three more to go. I was proud of myself <laughs> for doing Tokyo Mirage sessions this year, and that was what forty hours. I was like, oh man, yeah. I can't believe I did Tokyo Mirage sessions this year. That's crazy, and I haven't done a single really long RPG since then. Mm -hmm. that was that was, that was a game I surprisingly really liked so yeah i was uh kind of surprised i got into tokyo tokyo mirage sessions as much as i did um after like kind of not wanting to get into like a persona game for a long time because that one was i i almost wrote an article about it for rp gamer i was kind of playing around with my head like the persona game for me like it wasn't 80 hours. It didn't have a strict timeline. I liked the combat. Um, I don't play Fire Emblem games, but I'm familiar with the gameplay enough that like that mixed into the combat system, kind of like a, uh, what is it, a SMT battle system. It, it just worked great. You know, the resistances and whatever were just fine. But yeah, and it definitely kind of felt a little bit like uh, these other Falcom games that uh, I've been talking about. So... Yep, big fan of the whole Trails thing. Um, it may take me six years to get through all nine games. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of like Dungeon Crawlers or Etrian Odyssey. I love them, but, you know, you can't sit and play two or three of them back to back to back. It, you need something different in between. And, yeah, you were talking about the reams and reams of text. What was that image that came out when they finally confirmed that they were going to do, like, Cold Seal 3 and 4? Oh, yeah, that was the one where it was, like... It's a million... I think it's something like a million words of text between yeah. those four games. It was crazy. Because <laughs> I remember, I remember uh, NIS was... Uh, since they're the publishers now for those games, like, they showed a picture of um, the little penguin guy from um, that Di the Sky series that they do next to that. Like, the number was so big. Like, you just see the poor little penguin looking at the number. Just his <laughs> eyes are bulging out of his head. He's, like, sweating like crazy. It's like, yep, there, there's a lot of text in these games. 
<laughs> yeah, and what is it? One of the hallmarks of it is with the NPCs, pretty much anything that happens, every NPC has got different dialogue going. Yep. Oh my god. And they're all and you can I mean, they do gate off certain areas, at least in well, actually, both of them definitely have gating off because uh, the trails in, of cold steel, you went to an area, you went to a town and then you went back to school. And that was the gameplay rhythm for like eight chapters worth. And you couldn't just travel back to that city. So but man, like tons of stuff would happen. You'd be in this town for eight, ten hours of a field experience. And yeah, you could just talk to someone and then go back two hours later and they'd have something different to say and something different. Um, Zachary, you did that a lot in the first of trails in the sky game didn't you um i didn't do it with that one so much i did it with cold steel though and that definitely adds on playtime <laughs> but the thing is i never felt like i was forcing myself to do it mm-hmm. it, it wasn't because it really is interesting seeing how the characters will like change up what they say because it doesn't feel like it's not like with um oh i don't know what the best series to compare it with it's not like final fantasy or something where it's like oh the character just says the exact same thing no matter what happens in the game mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it's kind of like with dragon quest where if certain events happen like characters will say something that like relates to what's going on or they'll just kind of give you like a bit of an update almost like what's going on in their personal life and it's i i like that a lot about cold steel like trails in the sky i liked it a lot more when i went back and actually played through the game properly and you know gave it a, a proper chance but um with cold St- with cold steel it was really cool seeing how that changed as you played because like one of my favorite instances of that was this i believe it's in chapter five where you're in the town of Lagram, where the girl laura is from it's this little uh, lakeside town and it's not very big and you see that a lot of the characters there, you know, they held a lot of respect for Laura and they just kind of turn their noses up to you. Well, as you keep going, you'll see that they start warming up to you more and realize like, oh, OK, you're you're pretty good, too, at what you're doing. And, you know, you're you know, you've been so kind of Lady Laura. So, you know, we'll you know, we apologize. So you, you feel like there's a, a real sense of change in these characters that are NPCs and everybody has, you know, everybody like almost all the NPCs have unique names between one another. So it's not just like um townsman or townswoman or anything like that the only thing funny about that uh, situation i described is that there's three girls that all seem to really admire laura if you know what i mean and no matter what you do and no matter how good of a deed you do and how far you get in that situation they're always just like well you're not lady laura what the hell do we care about you for who cares <laughs> you're not laura <laughs> but it, it, it is fun reading that. And like I said, I never felt like I was forcing myself to do it because it it, it makes the characters feel alive. And it's kind of like why I like talking to NPCs in Dragon Quest so much, because you feel like these, even though they're just NPCs and you really don't need to interact with them that much, you, you feel like it is kind of worth it because you see like their lives sort of change a little better. Their, their own little stories happening as yours is going on, too. And I like mm-hmm. I like that about the Falcom games. There is a lot of text, but it, it's good text. It's if that makes sense. You know, it, it's nice writing. I like it. Yep, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, we'll get away before we uh, talk as much as a thousand, a million uh, words of praise for that series. Falcom in general. <laughs> Can I say one more thing before we jump up? I, <laughs> okay. it'll, it'll, be quick, I prom- it'll be quick. I promise. Just like with the Ease games, uh, the Legend of Heroes games all have really good soundtracks, too. Like, um, they all have really good soundtracks. I don't know if you guys heard me. I think my microphone dropped. 
But uh, you get okay. So yeah, all of those games have really good soundtracks. If you do want to check out a little bit of Cold Steel's music, look up some of the battle themes. There's a really good soundtrack for when you're fighting against other um, like classes in at the Thor's Academy. And then there's a really good boss theme for the battle against sort of this enemy um terrorist group i forget the names of the songs right now but just look up some of the battle themes or just some of the songs from the games in particular like the the song the battle theme from the first trails in the sky game that's a really good song i love that one it's it's got a nice beat to it and it's sort of different sounding than what you normally hear but just just had to throw that out there falcon games always have really good music so go check them out even if just for the songs <laughs> all right evan what do you got well speaking of walls and walls of text and great soundtracks <laughs> Uh, visual novels. There are a lot of them. Many of them are over 20 hours long. Many of them are just uh, Otome games, which is you play as a woman and the goal is to date a male character by the end. But uh, my personal favorite uh, visual novel of all is The House in Fata Morgana. And it's actually a good game to play around Halloween because it's kind of a gothic horror game. And so basically what it is is you wake up in this gothic Victorian whatever mansion, and you don't know what who you are, you don't know why you're here, but there's this maid who knows you and is trying to get you to jog memories. She insists that you are the master of the house, and she is your maid. And so what she does is she guides uh, your character through all these doors in the uh, the mansion, and each door shows a story of a previous uh, master of the mansion, and they all have a running theme of ending in tragedy or hubris or just death, and you kind of have to figure out what what caused these people's downfall and how do I prevent it from happening to me, and did this happen to me before in the past, and. Uh, it's pretty much a kinetic visual novel, which is where you do very little input. There are a couple options to like change the di- like. There's a dialogue option. Um, almost always, they don't really amount to anything. They're just changing what he says to another character. Um, there's a couple endings you can get. They're all bad endings besides the the one good <laughs> ending. It's exceptionally hard to not get the good ending. Um, and there's not much like i think there's like one or two where you have to pick something in like 20 seconds or 10 seconds or something like that and usually when you hit a bad ending it's almost immediate like you've just immediately gone down the bad ending it's like five minutes and then you reload to where you last were so it's not like super complicated to get to the end it's like 40 hours of just the main story and unfortunately some of the some of the other residents of the mansion um, some of their stories aren't as good good as others. Like, I would actually say there's a downward trend. Like the first one's the best in my eyes, and they kind of go all downhill from there. But there is a once you start to connect the dots and they start doing more doors, they start to improve. Once you've met all the residents and you're finding out the truth of what happened to your character and who the maid is, it starts to pick up from there, and it's pretty much just a story about uh, tragedy and uh, how to prevent it and what I thought was really cool about it was the version I got was the limited run games version uh, the dreams of the revenant edition and it came with another easily 30 hours of DLC story so like like there's like a it's it's it takes the worst 
resident of the mansion and pretty much raises him to the level of being a third main character, like a second or third main character of the story. Like his his storyline is so important and you would not have expected it. And they 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 fixed a, the the worst character of the game, so it retroactively improves my opinion of just the base game itself. It acts as a pretty good story just on its own because it covers everything that's important to the story that's taken from the 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 main story. And it's about 20, 30 hours self-contained and it leads into another storyline. And then there is an epilogue to the main story. And then that leads to pretty much the longest uh, post-credits scene ever of like a pretty much six, seven, eight hour story where you just see what happened to all the characters you met who survived and you just see them in their personal lives and what they're doing post this horrible tragedy they all experienced. And at points I was like, I don't know if I would be acting this way if all these terrible <laughs> things had happened to me. Like, this is absolutely nuts that they're just talking about, like, moving in together or whatever after they spent, I don't know how many decades, suffering in absolute misery uh, in in this time period they find themselves in. And uh, one thing that I thought it had going over, it had going for it over other visual novels is that it has... Most visual novels are pretty much just anime characters with anime, you know, backgrounds, you know, a school, a park, a house, a whatever. And in this particular game, I think they went around like parts of Europe and took pictures of um, old mansions and castles and, you know, decrepit old buildings and they put filters on it. And those are the backgrounds. And then they would put like these. They look almost like painted characters that have an a anime aesthetic on it, and they plop them in there as like the characters. And they use this like gorgeous music. They had like four or five, I think, producers working on the music, and it's like or conductors working on the music, and it's just like so gorgeous. It has so many. I think like half the music has um, vocal tracks in it. Like it's not all just like noises. It's like an actual person singing in like Latin or French or something. And they're all bangers. Like they're pretty, not bangers, but they're pretty good to listen to. Like <laughs> it's one of the instances where I went out of my way to buy the soundtrack off of like some import store. Cause the music is just so good to listen to. Like I could play it in the background. My parents wouldn't even know it's from some anime video game or something. And I thought it had a pretty touching story. I, Aside from like one or two characters, I don't think I had I hated a single character. There were some parts where I was like, this is starting to turn into misery porn. Like there was a character who is killed by his own brother, but his soul doesn't leave his body, and he watches as his brother drags his corpse into a village, and he watches as he's hung by like in front of the villagers and their mother says that's not my child he's a witch and they set him on fire and his soul is just present for all of it and i was like what is this i was like this is a little bit too much and there was even some i couldn't recommend it to a friend of mine because it had some uh stuff related to a character a character's backstory All in all, I felt like it was a worthwhile experience. It was, 
it was long. It's I think altogether you, it would take like eighty hours to play through the whole thing. But I didn't feel like it was. I felt like it was the way it was broken up by um, doors. The chapters are called doors, door one, two, three, whatever. Mm-hmm. You can you can pretty much do a door in a sitting. It's like two three hours long, and then there's like a twenty thirty minute period where the characters reflect on the door. Like what was that? What what was this? Oh this this tragic thing or oh this. Uh, uh, this person hap- this this is what happened to this person and let's go to the next door oh here's the seller and then this is where this person I met this person for the first time let me show you and they walk through the door and here's door number two or whatever and you can you know that'll take you two three hours and then you can just put it down the next day and just play another door and then put it down play another door it, it's Dragon it, Quest Seven. It, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a very it was a I was impressed that they're able to balance. Uh, tragedy heartbreak misery but also managed to make it very sweet and kind of emotional and i'm glad they were able to pull it together for the ending because it was starting to get a little little iffy towards the end uh, but i was like oh this is so sweet and nice i'm so happy for all these characters that survived <laughs> nice yeah Wish all visual novels could be like that, but I I believe it's considered one of the best. Like if you go on any uh any forum or subreddit or whatever about visual novels, you ask what to play, they'll almost always say the house in Phantom Morgana. I think it was ranked pretty highly on the visual novel database for a while. I haven't checked in a while. Um but yeah, you know, you're you're used to these two hundred hour experiences with a hundred different endings to unlock and all these characters you don't care about like i remember like last year i played what was it nurse love addiction i don't know why it was so <laughs> was that was that the game that i was giving you crap about the the like underwear dlc or something like that this was like it was this i i went into it because i heard it was so nuts and it was nuts to be fair by the end it's like you're you're playing a girl who wants to be a nurse. She goes to nursing school and she meets all these girls and they're the girls you're supposed to you're supposed to date, but they were all like you're okay, so your options for romancing are your sister, your teacher, or two women who are already in a relationship that that break up and date you, one or the other. <laughs> so all these are horrible options. And they like try to work around it by being like, "Oh, your 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 sister's actually not your sister. She's some random girl from a what was it? She was. They were like, oh my god! Like by the time you hit the part where you have to choose which girl to date, or it splits off into that person's storyline, their rope, their root. It's like, oh, you're actually a psychic from a government facility and you are you all know each other from this government facility and you have crazy psychic abilities but you have amnesia and all this crazy nonsense <laughs> what was this it's the most crazy thing i've heard from a visual part, novel game what the hell <laughs> the part where like you're the sister that you're romancing she like is in a very bad state for some reason like i don't remember why and she vomits and you kiss her and they talk about how delicious her vomit tastes i was like what is this the hell it's like it's a, you play like 20 hours of just this generic i'm gonna be a nurse thing and then all of a sudden it's like psychic powers and government institutions and you know this- i was gonna joke that this is it's gonna end up being like that doki doki literature club i didn't think it actually was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was like one where oh my god, what was it? I think you you're you're you date one of the one of the girls who was like who 
who the, the two lesbians that break up you one of the ones that you can date she has like a twin sister who hates you but they share the same body and if they continue to share the same body they'll both die so one of them chooses to die and she's reincarnated as your daughter with this other one it's like oh my god what is this it was so nuts i was like only on the vita when i played this absolute trash it was so crazy but that's why i played it because it was supposed to be really nuts so I guess delivered on that. Oh my god, that sounds hilarious. And like the really <laughs> awkward, like what the hell's going on kind like, of way. These relationships are okay. None of them end okay. They end very strangely, all of them. I was like, this is this is so beyond my comfort level right now. <laughs> and it's it's like 30 hours to play every single route. So you have to be really committed to it. <laughs> Jeez. Oh yeah. Jeez. I mean I mean, to be fair, Platy, you've played your fair share of strange Vita uh, games. Oh, yeah. You mentioned uh, the Senran, what is it, Senran Kagura? Yeah. And I, um, on my hacked Vita, I got a couple of those games and put maybe an hour or two into all of them just to see, like, uh, what is it? There's one of the, uh, there's a few of the Muso games like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, these are, uh, I had already played, oh, God, what a Hyper Dimension Neptunia. Action you unleashed. Um, I, I played Neptune versus Zombies. I was like, oh, this is terrible. The gameplay is good. <laughs> nope. Yeah, I, I did that. Action you and I actually rolled credits on it. Luckily, that thing took all of 10 hours. And I thought the combat was okay, but man, I just had to skip all the dialogue and just. <laughs> I, I basically just kept clicking on anything that had a star next to it. Like, yeah, yeah, let's just go to there. Let me battle. Whatever it says, cool. Let me go to the next one. Let me go to the next one. So, and those games had like known voice actors too. They weren't like just random people. Like I like if like very like I'm sure if uh, 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 Zach played a couple or sound clips from those Neptunia games, he would recognize a couple of those voices from like Etrian Odyssey. Because yeah, I know there was that one game that we were trying to figure out who the one female voice actress was and. Like, I looked everywhere I could. I oh, even asked yeah. you I was, to find out something. Oh, yeah. We couldn't find I, anything. We couldn't, we, nothing. <laughs> yeah, I went through, like, the, I went, I played, like, the credits, and the credits were weird themselves, because it was, like, a Christmas song, I think. Like, it, it was, like, a very orchestral Christmas song. Uh, but I was, like, digging, there was no, there was no credits for the English actors. I couldn't find, like, I looked up the character's name. No, like, actor was taking credit for it on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> They so wouldn't even take credit for it. Jeez. You go on, you go on the uh, behind the voice actors or whatever it's called, and that place is usually a pretty good database. Couldn't find anything on the English voice actors. Yeah, it was like one of the very first places I checked because usually they're pretty good about having stuff for like most every role that someone plays, and there's nothing about that game. Nothing. <laughs> it's like um oh what what was that what, what's that one PS one game that everybody always quotes as like having the worst voice acting where it opens with the cutscene where it's like. Wow, I can't move my body. This is terrible. What, game, what the hell is game is that? Chaos War. That might be it. That sounds familiar. Because like it's like every. I think like all of the actors are just like friends of somebody who must worked at that studio at the time. Because I think I think they were so like bad. relatives of like the president of the company or something. Oh, man, that's a great <laughs> clip. Gotta watch I think that you're right. Clip. I just googled it and videos. Chaos Wars, bad voice acting. Chaos Wars, real bad voice acting. <laughs> <laughs> literally chaos like, wars that's the first two things that pop up <laughs> those that voice acting is next level terrible that's bad it, 
It was so bad. I love the one girl where she's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. You can't do this to us. Uh." It's like, what is she going for? She sounds like she's like recording her dialogue through her cell phone from like 2006. Yes. Not like in the studio with other professionals. Then there's that one girl who tries to sound like a valley girl. Oh, I have to rewatch that clip. The only ones, <laughs> the only voices that I really remember are um, it's the darker skinned guy who who he talks like this with a real fabulous sort of accent. <laughs> and then you have the girl who sounds like she's either asleep and they woke her up and she's recording her lines, or she sounds like she's intentionally sounding bad. Yes, you cannot it's so you, bad. You cannot, you cannot stumble into sounding that bad. You have to work to sound as bad as, as they do. <laughs> uh, well, let's get back on track with some better stuff. I know, uh, <laughs> Evan, you want to talk about, uh, was it Gravity Rush and Uncharted too? Yeah. Oh, so, speaking of getting back to better stuff, um, so <laughs> Gravity Rush is so weird because I love the world, love the characters. Cat is a great new, like, character for an ip she's just so fun so likable she has like an ace winning uh design got a hilarious personality uh music's great that's another game where i i went out of my way to buy the soundtrack um gameplay is great uh the world looks pretty good it's it's an open world game for the most part which is pretty impressive um but uh it's def it's one of the instances where the vita limited it like it's a pretty empty open world you're pretty much flying from uh story mission to story mission i don't think there's any side quests at all except for like um challenge missions like you know fly through here and x number of times do this thing in x so many minutes defeat this many monsters or whatever so it was just like this game needed to be filled out a bit more and uh, the 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 gravity mechanics were great. Loved that, but the combat was uh, not great, and I kind of almost wondered why they needed combat in it to begin with. It felt pretty tacked on. Um, that that was, I was I'm very grateful that we did get Gravity Rush too, though, because I found the story to be interesting. I was glad the story continued, and I was glad that they pretty much fixed every problem the previous game had. And anything they did well in the original game, they improved on it. Like, there's a million side quests. Um, there's a lot more dialogue. There's a lot more people to talk to. There's multiple locations. It's not just the one giant world. I think there's, like, two other ones. And they're all very scenic, very nice. Um, Gravity Rush 1 just has kind of a foggy gray city. That is nice mm. to fly around. It looks nice. But it was... The, the gravity well, the gravity controls kind of hamper it because there's a lot of detail and there's like a lot of corners you can walk around in the open world. But why would you do that when you can just float in the air? You I don't remember how it worked very well, but basically the way it did was you would buttons on your thing would, would release the gravity and you'd be floating in the air and you can control your drops at various angles. And it's pretty much like flying, but you're floating. And you would, you'd say to yourself, well, why would I want to walk around this area when I can just fly all the way to the next mission? And there wasn't like a lot to like, you couldn't stumble into an interesting side quest. So there was no reason for you to walk around hoping you'll find something to do. Um, you would just go, okay, next story mission, fly halfway across the map. Okay, next story mission, halfway across the map. Next story mission, fall down the map. It was... Uh, 
It was a game where I loved so much about it, but I needed more from it to be like, yes, this is such a great game. All pretty much everything but the everything but the actual like combat and um, gameplay need like was fine. Mm-hmm. But then I don't know. It, it was it was weird, but it, I, they definitely fixed it up during with Gravity Rush 2. Um, problem is you really can't you really can't just pick up Gravity Rush 2 and avoid Gravity Rush 1. So I would actually blasphemy recommend just picking up Gravity Rush 1 on PlayStation 4 uh, because it's HD. It looks much nicer. Um, I There wasn't too, like, there was a little bit of controlling that was required of the Vita that you probably couldn't do. I remember there was something involving like the touch, the trackpad or whatever, the touchpad, the back of the Vita. Mm-hmm. Um, they pretty much replaced that with the trackpad on the PlayStation 4. And that worked, I've heard it works just as well. So it feels kind of blasphemous to sit to talk badly about a Vita game when we're talking about the Vita. <laughs> and I am talking about a game I liked. Like, I liked the game, but it was I was just kind of let down by all the things they failed at when there was so much it was succeeding at. Well, I mean, when we like games so much, you start to see those little flaws more magnified. You know, you don't... It, you played it. You played it. You liked it. You didn't just be like, "Oh, this yeah. is crap," and put it down after three hours. Yeah, like which I was, some I people would. So you had that experience where, "Oh man, this is so awesome!" If they would have just done this and this and this, it would have been perfect. Yeah, I was like, I love flying around this world. I wish I was flying somewhere else, but to another story mission. And when you were doing the story missions, it was great because it was in a enclosed area for the most part, and you'd have to fly around that little area, and there was. And you could do a lot more with the controls and the mechanics. Like, I don't know, maybe say um, parts of the ground broke up and there's rocks hovering everywhere and there's a vacuum sucking you in. You have to make sure you're floating on the rocks correctly. You have to like uh, drift over to the next rock. There was like a lot you could do with it. But when you were just out in the world trying to find something to do, it was just fly as high in the air as possible and launch yourself to the next mission. I felt like if you're going to do an open world game, it shouldn't be like that. Interesting. Interesting. And that's why uh, I thought that's why a, a Gravity Rush 2 is so great because there was a lot of stuff to do in that world and things to look at in that world. And it, a lot of the side quests, thankfully, weren't just hover over to this location, grab something from me, and bring it back. A lot of them were like really kooky. Like I remember one, you have to, there's like an action director and he's like, oh, I'm directing a movie. I need you to. I want to be the star of this movie, and I think you end up being like just the stunt double instead. So you have to do all these goofy stunts for this actress, and it's and you go, okay, great. Now let's do the next one, and you go over and do another thing. And so there was there's a lot of goofy like side quests to do that weren't just, hi, I need help, cat. Get that thing on the other side of the location for me, please. Thank you for bringing it to me after defeating those monsters. (laughs) I will say, with you describing all this, like I remember. It was quite a while ago on the den, but I think you were talking about how you liked the open worlds, or, well, not the open world, but how the world worked in two more than one. And I remember you talking about that. And I was with reading it through text, it's hard to sometimes get what somebody means, like versus like them talking to you in person. Because I remember when you were describing that to us on the den, uh, Evan, I remember thinking, well, that kind of sounds like what some games that I played. I don't remember what comparison I made on the den about that, but I will say from you talking about this, it sounds like Gravity Rush 2, like they really worked out some of the kinks that the first game might have had and definitely makes it sounds like the world was a lot more interesting. And I get now more than back then, like what you're trying to go for saying about like 
how they improved the game too. And I mean, yeah. you're definitely you're definitely selling me on trying them out. So <laughs> yeah, the um, I think what it was was they were really hampered by being on the Vita because I don't think there's like any open world games on the Vita really besides Gravity Rush. There's probably a few, but they're not like as detailed or graphics intensive or have as much going on in them as Gravity Rush did because like that game had like some wild it had like a the art style had like a, a French aesthetic mixed with anime and they all spoke in like a, a fake gibberish language that was kind of like French and the music had like a very Frenchy sound they're definitely going for they're definitely going for France like France's take on a, a Japan's take on a France fantasy game with the aesthetic and the music and the character art. And it was almost like a comic book. Like, they didn't do cutscenes very much. It was like a comic book. Like, oh, here's a page of a comic. Here's another page of a comic. But it was really dynamic looking. And they did that with Gravity Rush 2, but there was a lot more actual animation and characters flying around and, like, cutscenes and stuff. So it felt like they wanted to do more than they were able to do on the Vita and doing it on the PlayStation 4 again for the sequel, they are able to accomplish pretty much everything they wanted to do. Nice. Hey, I mean, if you, if you do it, you do it. It's a short game. It's like 12 hours. I think it took me 10, 12 hours just to play the first game pretty much straight through. I unfortunately dropped off Gravity Rush because I had, I think that was like just before Persona 5 came out or something. And I, I was playing the game like right after, like right before Persona 5 came out and I had to drop it and I didn't pick it up and I was so deep into the game that it would feel like almost impossible to just go back from my last save file. I was like 20 hours in, 20, 30 hours into this game and I, I there's no way, they added so many mechanics to the game, like there's other forms she can take to give her special powers, but yet the button combination's a little bit different for each one. And it was it was a little tricky even then remembering them all correctly when I was just when I was just playing it straight through. So picking it up what two three years later, it would be almost impossible. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. it was a while. I was almost done too. I think I had like maybe five six hours left in the game. Mm -hmm. It was funny because you were talking about that. I had actually Googled uh, how long the first Gravity Rush is, and. The way Google showed it to me was backwards than usual. I was like, oh, my God, 136 hours. Oh, no, 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 no. That's how many people they polled on, oh, on the website. <laughs> yeah, 10 hours, 10, 12 hours. You'd have to be walking across the map to do 100 hours. <laughs> the, the map is huge. Like, it's a very big open world, but it's just so empty. So you just fly across because it would just waste your time mm -hmm. to just to walk there or hover slowly or glide or just to look around the sites. And they were good in making, they made the one, one of the first worlds you visit is like a port town. And so it's very poppy and there's like ships all over the place. And it looks kind of like, and it had like a whole caste system introduced. Like, you know, oh, the rich people hover up a little bit higher. The slums are all the way down here. It, it had like, it had like a whole lore and story. And it had like, a, I, I honestly thought like the story was one of the most uh, I interesting parts of the game, which is very rare for these kinds of games. Hmm. Yeah, usually I just glide through open world story games. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're getting close to the end. And uh, we, <laughs> you each got one more game that you want to talk about. So, uh, Zachary, why don't you ease us into an ending? Oh. You have another ease game to uh, talk about. Yeah, so the other one that I wanted to talk about, and one that is my second most played game from the series, is uh, 
Uh, it's called Ease 8, uh, Lacrimosa of Donna. And it, as the name implies, it's supposed to be the eighth main entry in the series. I don't know where it takes place chronologically in the series, but I think it's supposed to take place after five, I, I believe, because of the sword like Adol has at the beginning. But anyway, so I'm not going to talk too much about the gameplay because the gameplay is pretty similar to Memories of Celsetta. There's just a few differences. But the story is actually an interesting setup for how they go about it. So it's the beginning. at the beginning of the game, you'll find Adol and his friend Dogi, who's usually his main traveling companion in these games, are working on this cruise ship that's sailing across the ocean. And they're working on it in order to help pay for their passage since they're explorers slash adventurers. So they don't really have a whole lot of pocket money on hand. So they're ending up working on the ship as, like, like Dogi does a lot more of the heavy lifting stuff. Adol helps with the, um, I don't know what you call it, the passengers on the ship. He helps out with them. And they, you know, get to enjoy talking with the captain who tells them about their his adventures. They tell him about their adventures and so on and so forth. And as you're sailing along the ship, you find out from the captain that you're sailing close to this island called the Isle of Serene, which is supposedly in the world of um, the E series. It's sort of this mysterious island that nobody's really sure what is exactly on it. Like, why it's always, like, ships always seem to disappear getting so close to it. It's basically that world's version of the Bermuda Triangle, almost, where it's a real mystery to everybody. And it's just sort of taboo to get too close to it or to really try and figure too much out about it. Uh, anyway, the story starts off with you on the ship. You are sailing along, and there's a party that goes on that night. And it's like a celebration for the... You know, that they're almost uh, to their destination, that they've gone close to the Isle of Serene so people could see it, but now they're back on course so they can, you know, safely continue on the journey. Well, it's not explained right away, but there is a giant kraken monster that appears from the ocean and begins attacking the ship. You, d you do eventually find out why it does as you play the game, but... Uh, Adol and Dogi try and fend it off. They unfortunately run into, you know, circumstances because the ship is breaking apart on them and the giant Kraken monsters like just swatting them left and right and is taking away the passengers as well. And eventually the ship ends up, you know, just sinking into the ocean. And when you wake up as Adol, he's alone on the beach all by himself on the Isle of Serene. And as you start playing, you then start uh, reuniting with different people who are on the ship. Like, you have some of your party members that you meet, like Laxia von Roswell. You have Sahad the Sailor, who's from a little fishing village that he tells you about as the game goes on. And you then start meeting uh, some of the NPCs as well, like the captain of the ship. Uh, you meet uh, up a doggy again. And as you start running into people, you then start realizing, well, you know, we're probably going to be stuck on this island, so we need to figure out a way to survive it. So you then end up starting this little shanty town, which I think it's just called Castaway Village, they call it. And as you explore the island, your main goal is to find more people to help uh, renovate this place and eventually to try and find a way to get off the island. So it's, it's sort of like Memories of Salcedo, where your starting plot is pretty simple and like what your goal for exploring the island is. But unlike Memories of Salcedo, where it's more... Uh, Memories of Salcedo, the camera's always in a set position looking at the screen and you're as you're exploring areas. Well, with Lacrimosa of Donna, you actually get to explore... Um, what would be the best way to put it? It's almost like you're exploring like a level from like one of the 3D Mario games or something like that, where you have these big areas where you can explore. You have vines that you can climb up to find resources. You have enemies that are scattered all over the place. You can move the camera all over. And your goal is to fill up these uh, chunks of the map and 
it's this is something I didn't mention with Memories of Celsetta, but for completing parts of the map and filling it out, you do get rewards for doing it. So it's not like it's just some you know optional thing you can do. Well, it is an optional thing you can do, I guess, but it's it's an optional thing that will reward you. So like you fill out ten percent of the map, uh, the captain will be like, "Hey, you know, you you did pretty good like scouting out the island so far. Let me give you uh, this little trinket I found on the beach, and it's you know a special accessory that increases that character's stats by five. You know, so you get nice little rewards for it." But it, the exploration is so good in Memories of Celset or in Lacrimosa of Donna. Because with the change to an all 3D, like you can move the camera all around you in 360, you get to explore in different levels and everything. It's not just a set look on every map that you go to. You get this real sense of progression because as you'll be exploring, you'll see like this tree trunk off in the distance. Well, eventually you can get work your way over there. You knock that down. Boom. Now you got a shortcut to get a little further in. You have these little save crystals that will uh, thankfully restore all your health when you touch them. And you can use those as sort of waypoints to, like, say you get ahead in the air, like in the rainforest area that you can explore later on. But you need to jump back to where one of the NPCs is. You don't have to walk all the way back. You can just open up your map, click on that little waypoint, and there you go. You're right back there where you were. So there's a lot of quality of life improvements to this sort of formula that they were going for with um when they started doing more of these fully 3d ease games uh you still have the same gameplay combat system where you have uh six characters that eventually get a, a full party of six characters each of them having uh one of the weapon types that they can use like you have uh adol or adol and the last character who can use slash uh, sahad and the little girl you find on the island rakota they can use blunt damage you have loxia and hummel the uh, the transporter who can use uh, piercing type attacks. And again, it's that same sort of gameplay routine that you had where you want to try and have one of each of a, t- a specific weapon type in your party. So you can damage enemies of that or enemies that have that weakness. So you have that nice balance to your party almost. And if you play Memories of self then you're going to feel pretty comfortable jumping into Lacrimosa of Donna because the gameplay is very similar to how everything controls, how the buttons feel. Uh, only thing that's bad about the Vita version of the game is that if you want to use the dashing, uh, you have to either assign it to a different button or you have to put it on the same button as your evasive roll, which can get a little confusing if you're just trying to like run away from something really quick. Because you have to have, you got to remind yourself, oh yeah, I got to either hold this button down or I got to try and do something else. Like it's one of those times where I wish that they had one more button or like you could click the left stick or the right stick so you could just permanently set them to be running if you wanted to. But. For the game itself, like, I thought Memories of Salsetta was really cool with how the exploration worked. With the Isle of Serene in Lacrimosa of Donna, they really went all out. There's, I really like tropical-themed stuff, so maybe that's just more of a personal preference of mine. But with uh, the Isle of Serene, there's a lot of really cool details as you explore. Like, you find these giant above-ground coral reefs. You find these stalactites that are like rainbow-colored in certain caves. And what's nice about some of these things that you find, they actually count as a landmark. And it will give you some bonus experience points, and it will give you bonuses to your uh, map exploration. So it's it's worth looking out for them and just kind of taking your time and exploring the whole island. And I do like with the game that you get this real sense of like you're growing as a party because like with um, the trails of trails of cold steel and trails in the sky that we were talking about before, 
the Ease games do a nice job of showing like the part, the main party especially, you know, how they all get along, and even if there are there's differences before that they sort of come to understand one another. Like Sahad is probably one of my favorite Ease characters because he's he's such a goofball. I love him. He's so funny. He's kind of like the Yangus of of the E series almost because he's this big lovable guy. He's real goofy, just kind of does things his own way. But when you talk to him, you realize that even though he does act this way, like he, he is pretty down to earth on stuff. Cause when he tells you about his family, he's got a wife and daughter back at home. He tells you that even though, you know, he kind of acts slightly there, like he knows when to tone it back and to be more of a father, be more of a husband. You know, he takes his fishing very seriously. It's a very important, um, it's a very important role within his village that he's from. And so it's a nice to see that kind of with the Trails of Cold Steel games and the other uh, Legend of Heroes games that you get this nice sense of character progression and this nice um, growth from these characters that you're interacting with, whether it's in your main party or the castaways at the village. There's actually a really cool plot, like a little subplot that happens uh, about just like this before the halfway point. You start to learn from one of the castaways who was a, I believe he is a essentially a policeman of that world, where he's looking for this wanted criminal who supposedly was on the ship when you were sailing across the ocean. And come to find out, you then have to take a little break from like the exploration and stuff, and you have to find out by talking to the different castaways and sort of getting context clues and everything like who this culprit could possibly be. I'll be honest with you. I did not expect it to be the guy who it was just because of what role he plays within the village and what he ends up doing to one of the other main characters from the village. You really, it's one of those times in a game where I really just wanted to punch. Like, I wish I could just go in the game and punch him for myself. And I normally don't have that when I play sometimes it, it, it definitely was a story that got to me. And there's, there's a lot more to it as well. Like the main character, if you ever look at the box art for the game, you'll see there's always two characters front and center. There's Adol on the left, and you can always tell it's him because of his bright red hair. And you have a, a blue-haired girl right next to him who's kind of has her eyes closed and is looking off the other direction, and that's uh, Donna. And as you play the game, you begin to learn more about Donna and sort of the civilization that she came from, which, without going too much into story, spoilers about it, because it, it is worth discovering it for yourself and seeing how it all fits in with the rest of the game. It it the title of the game really fits her character very well. If you ever look up what the word lacrimosa means, it's a very fitting uh, title, not only for the game itself but for this main character in particular. And I won't say too much more about the plot itself, but if you have a Vita or if you have a PS4 or if you have a Switch because it's on all three systems, I think it's on Steam too. I would definitely recommend this game in particular if you've never played an Ease game or if you're just looking for a good action RPG. It's it really is a very good game. I like the story. I love the characters. The combat is very uh, fluid feels very nice as you play and there's a lot of great little improvements uh depending on what version you play i mainly stuck with the vita version to play through it and other than a little bit of slowdown i really did not have any problems playing that game or getting used to the controls or um feeling like oh i'm really cumbered by playing on this smaller uh handheld system it's a very it's a very good game no matter what system you play it i can't recommend it enough if you're just looking for a nice new rpg to play hello oh sorry i was on mute okay. Talking for a while. <laughs> I'm just like I'm. I'm done, Matt. I, I promise. <laughs> what I said earlier that nobody heard is we'll kick this back over to Evan. He wanted to talk Uncharted, yeah. and then yeah. I'm sure we'll uh, round this out here soon. This then will be too long. Have either of you played Uncharted games yet, or like have interest in Uncharted at all? 
I do have interest in it. I I have the trilogy on the PS4, and I because when I bought my PS4, it was that Nathan Drake. Um, I forget what it's called, like the special edition that came with Uncharted yeah, Four. Yep, like I have. Yeah, I am yeah, yeah, staring yeah. at that box right now <laughs> in my garage. <laughs> that was mine too. Actually, I also got the Nathan uh, that that PS4 special edition with the fourth game. Yeah, but um, I just haven't started them yet. But I really want to. I would say if you play those games and you like the first like two three games, you would probably also like Golden Abyss. But I feel like the problem with the Vita game Golden Abyss is there are six Uncharted games, one through four, Lost Legacy, and Golden Abyss. And Golden Abyss is like the fifth best one. And <laughs> I, I have very negative opinions on the third game. And I think I'm the only person on Earth who has negative opinions on the third game. So maybe it's just me. I think most other people might even say it's their sixth favorite one. The problem with it is... I would almost say play it after playing the first game because the first game is like pretty good for like, you know, uh, you know, the first first game in a series. Uh, you know, it's a PlayStation 3 game, a very early PlayStation 3 game. Uh, that's kind of what basically the the whole point of Golden Abyss is to be. It's to show that you can literally just play a PlayStation 3 game on your Vita. And it has all it has like numerous uh, you know, touch mechanics it actually has it's one of the first games the rubbing mechanic you can uh <laughs> you, you, you rub the screen to wipe away clues i will say one thing i liked about it over the other uncharted games altogether is that the collectibles are a lot better in other uncharted games for the most part you just find a glowing thing on the ground and you pick it up whereas this one's like find all these various pieces to make a single thing um you'll just see a giant glowing thing on your screen and you have to tap it you don't walk up to it like there'll be a cutscene playing and there's a glowing thing you have to tap it to collect it. Um, there's like a couple like sto- like stories sort of that are told through collecting all the items. I think like oh you've collected all these things out here's the whole story of this ancient whatever thing. And the problem is it is actually pretty similar to now that I think about it, uh, the first game in that there is pretty much just one location. Later games take you to like snow-capped mountains, then a jungle, then a museum, then this place, then this place. This is pretty much just a jungle. And you, you just go through a jungle, You know, there might be some, you know, waterfall segments, but for the most part, you're just kind of in one spot. And that was the same with um, the first Uncharted game. And unfortunately, it has this issue where, like, it introduces new characters specific to this game. They aren't memorable. I don't remember any of the new characters' names. They, this is a or not an origin game, but it's, I think canonically it's set before the other games. Um, it's like one of his early adventures. So, like, what's her name? Elena, his girlfriend character from all the other games, isn't present in this one at all. It's just some other random lady uh, who he has no chemistry with. And it's I, the gameplay is still pretty good. Like, it's still classic Uncharted gameplay. The gunplay, I think, is good. Other people don't seem to like uh, the shooting mechanics in Uncharted games very much. I like the climbing. One thing that's pretty cool about the climbing is that you can run your finger over the screen to set a course, and he'll climb that course instead of you having to just move your finger around and you can like tilt the screen a little bit so he can leap from one side of the of a i don't know of a cliff to another um if he's hanging off of something so like they i feel like they incorporated some um vita specific 
parts pretty well, but then you have, like, say, QTE fights, which are touch the screen, slide your finger across the screen. Like, the the final boss was a QTE, and I was losing my mind trying to do this final boss. I must have done him, like, five times, because you have to do almost all the QTEs correctly, and they go by so fast. I had to memorize the order for every time I, I died to bounce back and do all the QTEs in the right order. Um, So it had, like, some issues here, some issues there. I would say... If you were an Uncharted fan and you liked one, jump right into this game first before you play fi- uh, uh, Uncharted 2. Because just the leap from Uncharted 1 to 2 is such a quantum leap that it would feel like you're going backwards just to play uh, Golden Abyss. And like it- it's weird because like Naughty Dogs made so many that they obviously they get better and better and better. Whereas this one's not developed by Naughty Dog, so it's like a whole new studio. They have to learn how to they you have to learn how to ape a Naughty Dog game. So they're already working with a handicap, and this is I think the, the only um, Uncharted game they worked on. So it's also their first one. So it's it's got like the quality of the first game. If that makes sense. like there's also no like big action set pieces that you're used to seeing in an Uncharted game. Um, it's pretty much just. The cutscenes honestly weren't great in general. There were pretty much characters standing around, and whenever there was action involved, it didn't look very good. But like when you're actually in the game, the game looks really good. I would say it looks on par, maybe slightly not as good as uh, a PlayStation Three game. So yes, if if you like, if you eventually play Uncharted and go, yeah, I really liked Uncharted One. Don't do Uncharted Two. Go right to this one. If you ever, if not, it's almost kind of like I I had played. One, two, four, and Lost Legacy before I went to this game. And it was, I felt like I was going so far back. Like so many things that have become common in the later games aren't here. Uh, which is weird because I think it, I think it came out one, two, three, then Golden Abyss, then four, then Lost Legacy. Like I, I don't think, I think three and Golden Abyss were probably developed simultaneously at the same time and they just came out couple months before or after each other but like so much like so much that i came to expect by the time i was playing the fourth game obviously wasn't going to be there like there was a grappling hook that i really liked in the fourth game that wasn't there they had fixed this they had made the stealth slightly better uh combat was bearable the combat in this game wasn't particularly great um so i would so i would definitely say it's a good game it's worthwhile and it's also still only on the vita it's not on playstation 4 PlayStation 3, it's obviously not on Switch. Um, so it's it's also one of the few uh, Vita-exclusive games left on that system. And yeah, few is a uh, almost overstatement. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> when you were talking about all about the game, uh, Evan, I did a look, quick look up on the developer who made that one. It's SIE Ben Studios. Do you want to take a wild guess at what the very first game was they made? I think I looked this up, so I actually might be wrong about them never touching Uncharted. I think they did um, that knockoff Smash game, PlayStation All-Stars, right? Nope. Oh. Not them. You gotta go back a little further. Uh, um, Leisure Suit Larry? Would you like a hint? Sure, what, give me a hint. I mean, what could possibly go wrong if I gave you a hint? Um, Maybe I should say that again. What could possibly go wrong? Oh! Oh! Bubsy! Oh, that's bad. They made Bubsy 3D in 1996. (laughs) 
I will there say... There were 3D games like, in 1996? <laughs> yep. It was supposed to be like a killer app for the PS1 to compete with like Mario 64 and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's such an infamous game. It has the lovely Golden X Award on the cover of it, which is something that the company totally made up for. <laughs> I totally for I, it's been so long since I watched that AVGN episode about Bubsy. That joke went completely over my head. I was like, I haven't heard about Bubsy in like twenty thousand years. <laughs> I wasn't sure if the what could possibly go wrong thing would help or not. I I I thought maybe you would have seen like because I love that when people people like post that clip of him for a response to just yeah. what could possibly go wrong. It's like just the most obnoxious voice for the character. The clip I remember of Bubsy is um, when he's talking about how great the developers of the game are. <laughs> what would a platformer be without platforms? <laughs> I I love it that in that game that the the I don't know if she's still the voice actor for it or not, but the old voice for Rouge the Bat from the Sonic games. That yeah. was the woman who did the voice of Bubsy in that game. Oh, so it's really? really it, yes, it's really funny to think about that. It's, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I had to. I had to bring that up since you, you mentioned this Uncharted game. I'm like, I think that. I think I might. This might be the Bubsy 3D people. <laughs> Look, I knew they did. I knew they did Days Gone that came out like last year, but I, I would couldn't remember any of the other games. Looks like they did actually. I talk about how they didn't touch another Uncharted game. They literally made a game called. Uncharted Fight for Fortune, apparently. Which I think, just that a, one. I think it was just like a card game or something. Yeah, I, They did do the Siphon Filter games, which I've heard that those ones are actually not that bad on the PlayStation. I've never played them myself, but... It looks like they made a lot of Siphon Filter games. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, there's one guy who I watch on YouTube, Cat Icarus, and he's talked about the Siphon Filter games a few times. That The first one's okay, but then they got better with each sequel. So, I mean, maybe Uncharted, maybe Uncharted Golden Abyss is still kind of meh, but I mean, at least they improved from Bubsy 3D. You can only like, go uphill from that. <laughs> like, I wouldn't say it's a bad game at all, but it's, like, it's just like, it's sort of like how the Switch ruined handheld gaming for, like, the DS. Like, you can't pick up a DS game and anymore because you're so used to console quality now that you that's kind of what the situation was with this game was i'm so used to all these other features in other uncharted games that aren't necessarily there and it wasn't a lot like off the top of my head i can only really think of the grappling hook from four but it was just like they tried they pulled some things out like like i mentioned the comp they did their own combat looks like it it wasn't good i don't remember the stealth being good the stealth in four was pretty decent not amazing but it was I'm usually quite terrible at stealth games. I cannot play Metal Gear to save my life. So they kind of dumbed it down for dum-dums like me. Whereas this was just kind of hide behind this thing, hide behind that thing. Um, I remember four, I think even three, maybe even two, you could hide in like grass or, or try to escape into water so they can't find you. I don't remember that being something you could necessarily do in Uncharted. Of course, someone's probably played this game. Oh, could you not remember that? Of course you could do that. <laughs> It's been like a year and a half since I played it. Give me a break, guys. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I I definitely say worthwhile game. If you're a fan of Uncharted, it's I would say yes. I would never say have you if you've never played Uncharted game, you have to play this one. Um, it's not it's I can see why it was like a killer app when the Vita first came out, because it's it's honestly one of the most graphically pretty games consistently on the vita i don't remember any like slowdown any rough load times the game was decently long i think it was maybe like an hour shorter than a normal uncharted game um it had some issues you don't go to other places it's pretty much just a jungle 
Um, but I would say if you're like a if you're an Uncharted fan, you go, this is a pretty good series. I would say this game is also worth your time. Um, it, it's kind of hampered by the fact that it's a spinoff and it's set at a different time than the other games, so you can't you're not really missing any lore by skipping over it if there's any lore really to miss in Uncharted, but it doesn't fill in any gaps between other games. It's its own it's like way before one even happens. Alrighty. Well, anything else we want to talk about? I, I know, Zachary, you wanted to say how uh, much you liked it for the support for other systems that it has. Yeah, that that's really only the other only other thing that I wanted to just briefly talk about. So I originally had bought a PSP like back in like 2012, 2013 or so, and I found out eventually that you could use it to play a lot of PS1 games. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm not a system that I really grew up with. wasn't one that I ever owned. I mainly only got to play it at a friend's house. So I figured that'd be a good way to play a lot of those games that I missed out on. And I'm someone where I don't really like a, like going back so super far with games like NES era. That's kind of where I, don't, I can't really get into those ones as much. But like Super Nintendo... Genesis, like PS1, from like when I was growing up, like those were sort of the ones that I, if I missed out on them, I try and play them if I can. But anyway, so with the PSP, I never really got too used to it. But when I got the PS Vita, I found that since I could still use my account, I could still play a lot of those PS1 games and quite a lot of PSP games too that I missed out on. And it's really hard to find the, what are they, the UMD, UMD mm-hmm. discs for them. Yeah. So, so the, like I really love some of the indie stuff that I've gotten on my Vita and some of like the, the few physical games that I have, I think I maybe have like five or six like actual Vita games physically, but I've loved using the Vita for a, like pretty much a PlayStation one portable or for being able to play a lot of those PSP games that I just either couldn't find or that I just didn't really enjoy playing them on the V or on the PSP itself. So like if, if you're looking to play a lot of PS one games, uh, legally and not through certain means, like getting a Vita what? worth what? it. <laughs> yeah, I, that that's not a shot at Platy or at Matt either. By the way, that's that's that that, that wasn't a shot at you for me. <laughs> on, no, that's fine. It wasn't. But um, uh, if you're looking to play them, and luckily a lot of them are really super cheap too. Like I think maybe the most is like five or six bucks for a lot of those PS1 games. It's a good system to pick up if you're looking to have basically a PS1 on the go at all times because I've played a lot of different games through that, especially for PS1. Like what was it back in 2018? Platy and I, we did um, another one of our RPG races where we tried to play Suikoden. He couldn't get into it. I really got into it and I blazed through one and I blazed through two. Had to replay two, but that's another story. I'll save for another time. <laughs> but um, it was—it's been a great way to experience a lot of those games that I either just missed out or and knew about. How some of my friends having when I was growing up, like stuff like uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, stuff like uh, Twisted Metal Two, and it's also been a great way to experience some RPGs that I've never really heard of or had heard about, but just had never tried. Like I'm looking forward to trying out Wild Arms at some point. I used it to replay Final Fantasy Nine because I had put my PS2 away. Way and it, it Final Fantasy IX played great on the Vita. So yeah, just not to ramble too much longer, but if you're looking to play a lot of those games that for the PSP or the PS1, you know, if you can find a Vita at a good price, whether used or new, I'd I'd say go for it for that. Because you get you can get a big library of those PS1 games for like five bucks each. And if they have a sale, hey, guess what? You can get them for like two fifty each. I remember one Black Friday they had a big sale on PS1 games. I think I got like I think nearly like 20 games 
for maybe 35 40 bucks like i've still not halfway through them there's you, there's a lot to choose from there's a lot to like about the vita even if you don't really go for the exclusive games for it, like visual novels or some of the other RPGs for it, you know, whatever the case might be. You, you can get a big library of, of uh, retro games going for it if you'd like. And that's what I've enjoyed about having the Vita. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved just looking on, uh, what is it? Like I said, looking at the sales, I would always go to the Vita. But, um, gosh, it was, they had it easier to do at one point. There was a like a pull-down menu that you could look at games that were playable on Vita. So it wasn't just the PS Vita games. Or maybe it was something I just had to do on the Vita going on the PSN store. But yeah, I always, I've probably bought a dozen games that are either PSP or uh, the Vita games. I remember uh, having, oh man, I, I had something at work where I had bought something on eBay that I needed for one of my clubs or one of my classes. And months later, I forgot that I had put like the company card as like a second or third tier card on my Vita. And um, my lovely Visa card, I feel like once a year, I get an email from the bank like, oh, your 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 credit card number might have been stolen from somewhere that you once shopped once upon a time. We've been informed. So we're sending you a new card with a new number. I feel like that happens once a year. <laughs> um, so in one of those in-between times where I guess uh, PayPal couldn't hit up my uh, main credit card, it used the company card to buy me Persona 3. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I got an email from uh, one of the ladies in the front office one day, and she had sent like six of us emails. She's like, hey, you guys are the only one with this company card. Why am I getting this $9.99 thing? And like she'd taken a screenshot of it, and I was like, oh, crap, that's Oops. me. <laughs> yeah, she's like, uh, I'll to explain to your bank. Yeah, I was always had to explain to your bank. Oh, yep, that's uh, my purchase, I promise. <laughs> so, yeah, I. She's like, ah, I'll just throw it under like a club expense because I think that was I, I was doing a Pokemon club at the time. They once bought me Sun and Moon or something like that just for my Pokemon after school yeah. club. <laughs> so they're like, ah, we'll just throw it under that expense account. Who cares? What's what's ten dollars when we're charging the kids two hundred a pop to come to your clubs? <laughs> so, all right. Any last thoughts? I love my Vita. I will say, did you know that I believe one third of all physical games uh, were published by Limited Run Games? Wow. I would believe that. I, I can believe that, yeah. They did just over 100, I think 100, 102 games on Vita. So that means almost a third of all games <laughs> came from them. So as, as much as I despise, you know, I despise their practice of, oh, only 2,000 copies... Um, I will say they did give the Vita a much longer lifespan than you could have imagined it considering Sony abandoned it in what, 2015, 2014? So for it to still have, I think they still have one more game, Super Meat Boy, to come out and it's <laughs> almost the end of 2020. And I, apparently Nicholas is holding out on releasing two games for the Vita mm. that they've been holding on to stock for like a year and a half, apparently. I believe um, I, that. I've heard that they're kind of a. They can be kind of trouble to deal with on stuff. I've heard. Well, I've heard bad things about them. My my opinion, my guess on the on those two Nicholas games is they want to be able to sell them as the last games on the Vita, physical games you can buy on the Vita, which is really silly because I don't think they've released any physical games on the Vita, <laughs> and they're limited stock anyways. So what does it matter? They're going to sell out instantly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Vita games always sold out pretty quickly <laughs> when there's limited stock. So, 
I, well, I, had, I, had, I had to be that guy. I had to be on... I would have to say, oh, I have to go to the bathroom while I'm at work so I can hide in a bathroom to buy fat, uh, House in Fata Morgana because I wanted to play that game. <laughs> so I wanted to play that game. I didn't want to buy it digitally because for some reason, visual novels can be very large on a, in memory. Mm. Well, especially that one, you were talking about how much content that had. So Yeah, like, um, but then you'll have like <laughs> Nurse Love Addiction is like not even a gigabyte large or something. Very like, <laughs> a lot of small... Like, I think there was one game that was going to have a release by Limited Run, but it was too large to fit on a disc or a a a a, a, a Vita cart, so they just released it digitally. Or it was supposed to be... Yeah, and then eventually PlayAsia announced that they were doing a physical of it. It was some some visual novel, but it was apparently so large it couldn't fit into a cart. And then there's... Uh, we talked... Talked on this on the last side quest. I think I bought Cyrilim, and it was maybe I got it for a dollar, and it was I don't even think it was a hundred megabytes. <laughs> My God, <laughs> that's funny. It might, it might have been like eighty-seven megabytes. I saw screenshots of that game, and it looked like it was pretty uh, low tech. So I. I can oh, yeah. believe it. I, it, it. I got about four or five hours into it, and there was no story at all. And I was like, okay, so this game goes on forever. Got it. Yeah, those yeah, those limited but... run games. You'd be surprised. I I was I decided I didn't want a bunch of these games I never opened, so I went to sell them on eBay, and I actually managed to sell like Hyper Dimension Neptunia games almost instantly the second they went on the store or on my eBay store or whatever. But like it would, it took like a month to get rid of Proteus or some other Exiles and some other limited run game, and they don't even really retain their value. So. You, it's even though their their selling practices are pretty scummy. I think you pay maybe five, six dollars more if you just buy it off eBay, and usually they have free shipping. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did with a lot of my limited run games. I bought them all off eBay <laughs> for, for about the price that they sold them on on the store. Didn't even have to be there in the bathroom at work to buy. Yeah, Fat <laughs> yep. Organa, yes. Not uh, Cosmic Star Heroin. Oh, well, that game's to, out everywhere. <laughs> I had to, like, poke my phone underneath my workstation to uh, quickly buy it, um, hoping no customers would come in. And then it was on the store for, like, a day, because they had printed so many copies of it. Mm. I think that was, like, the one game where they printed, like, 4,000 copies. The only copy of a Vita game that I found physically in stores was um, when I bought uh, Ease 8. It, I was at a local game store. That's the one time that I bought a Vita game physically that I didn't have to order it through Amazon or, th- or like online somewhere. That's the only uh, Vita game that I ever saw out in the wild just sitting on the shelf. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I had shockingly good luck at Game Stops of all places. Like, I remember um, Virtua Tennis 4 isn't, like, an expensive game, but it's vaguely uncommon. Like, you might not necessarily... Any given day you go on eBay, there's a chance you won't even find a copy of it. So I was like, oh my god, it's, it was an amazing condition. It looked brand new. It wasn't, it was used. But I was like, oh my god, this is a great condition for this game, and I want to play it. So I was able to find that. There was a local comic book store that also sold games, and they didn't know what they had. And they had, like, rows and rows of all these incredibly obscure Vita games. Someone must have just sold their collection to them. But that, I bought all these, like, hyperdimension Neptunia games I ended up not playing but they were like twenty dollars. Good call on that one. Yeah. <laughs> they were like twenty dollars at the store, and I flipped them off for like forty, fifty dollars on eBay when I was when I was 
cutting when I was trying to trim my collection down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I was Vita's mostly retained their mostly retained their value in terms of games. Like I was lucky, like I bought a whole bunch when I found out that they weren't printing, like they weren't doing any more carts or anymore. And all of a sudden, their prices started to creep up a bit. And I started buying a whole bunch of games. I was lucky to find them at decent prices. And then when I was like, I have way too much. Let I'm not playing the majority of these games. I need extra money. Let's get rid of all these Vita games. And I don't think I've taken very many losses on any of the ones that I bought. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> at least at least you uh, got your money back there for those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, guess... I, I was going to say, I've been talking with um, somebody I was got talking about Yokai Watch today, completely away from Vita, but... I'm someone who doesn't keep my games anyway. Like, almost all my games, I buy them, I sell them when I beat them. And some of the rarer 3DS ones have been just fine with that. Like, uh, Bravely Default. After the... I I didn't play it when it came out, but when the second one came out, like, I paid $55, I think, for the first one, because that's what it was going for at the time. Bravely Default? Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that first one was I hard to find. That. I ended up I buying my copy digitally just because of that, because it's like, you know what? I got this big ass SD card for my 3DS. I'm just going to buy it digitally and keep it on there. I because do remember physical copies were like 60, 65 bucks for new ones yeah, at the time. I remember that. And they did it yep. with a reprint or something, because I got it for like 30 bucks one time. When, it, when I finally got it. <laughs> I mean, I really lucked out with mine, because I think I paid like 50, 55 for it. And... I sold it on eBay, and uh, when I was done with it, um, got, you know, 50, 55 bucks. So I was out, you know, like the $3 I paid shipping the first time, plus the eBay fees for whatever. So as I see it, I rented it for, you know, 10 bucks for a couple months. <laughs> sold it, didn't think anything of it, whatever, got the money. Um, like three months later, it got mailed back to me unopened, like as oh. undeliverable. Oh. <laughs> and the person that complained about it or anything? Never did. Like, I'm like, okay. I kept it. I um, and it was after ninety days, so I couldn't like see the full details back on eBay. And you know, dishonestly, I didn't really care. I wasn't going to get in touch with this person. I'm like, okay, <laughs> they haven't said anything for ninety days. Maybe they yeah, got shot and killed. Or really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, somehow they're no longer at their house and they're in no position <laughs> to complain about this. So I think I kept it. I, um, Those are getting up there now. Yeah, I I was I would always see copies of I don't know if I mentioned this in the den. I would always see copies of SMT for Apocalypse for like 20, 30 bucks. And I wasn't a huge fan of the first one, so I wasn't going to jump and get it. But then I went to like a Walmart and it was just there for five dollars. They're clearancing out a million games and that was one of them. So I bought that. And I didn't I opened it instantly. I didn't think anything of it. And then randomly I'm like going through my let's get rid of some of these games thing and I I just look it up and it's like running $80, $90, huge numbers on eBay and like I'm talking opened. I had opened this thing and it was still in the it was almost worth $100. So I just threw it up as like an eBay auction for like starting bit of like 50, 60 bucks and by the end of it I made a I made $110 selling an open game that I never played. Wow. It, it's because it still had the pins. It came with pins that I never opened. Oh, so that's I, what did it then. Yeah, so it's like never never played because it never was. Never never once touched my 3DS. I think I I don't even think I took the game out of the out of the cart. I just opened it. And the the pins were never touched either. So I just I sold it. It was in immaculate condition. They might as well have bought got it new. 
And it was like, I was like, what happened? And I actually, I was like, wait a minute, this is Atlas, Atlas sequels in particular have low print runs. So I Google, you know, like uh, PQ2, those are worth huge money now too. Like I saw like 80 bucks or something for Persona Q2. Yep. I, I sold mine in December and I had bought that when it released so i got it for what 39.99 yeah and yep and then when i sold it it i got 70 80 bucks last christmas for it same thing with yokai watch 3 i luckily nabbed that game on release day and uh yep it was a uh, quite a bit 70 80 bucks when i sold it last christmas you can find like yokai watch literally everywhere like i went to a five below and they have like stacks of them for five bucks oh yeah so, my so walmart yokai has plenty <laughs> yeah, oddly my, my uh always has my walmart always has copies of yokai watch too i don't remember what version of it it is it might be like the third version of it but they always have copies of that sitting there on the bottom shelf underneath all the switch games it's really <laughs> funny because it's just been sitting there for, like, I think years now at this point. It's really funny. You'll you know, still see, my favorite is, at, like, Color Splash for 50 bucks, the Wii U Paper Mario game. I always see Color Splash for 50 bucks at every Walmart I go to. <laughs> oh, the 3DS. My Walmart just got all these new 3DS games there. Like, I, I looked at games once a week, twice a week during the pandemic last six months. I'd always go to Walmart to shop and always check it out. And, yeah, they had... I think at one point I was saying it was pretty funny because they had like almost 20 copies of Yokai Watch 1 and maybe like five other games total. I looked today because they had redone their uh, shelving stuff or yesterday when I was in there and holy crap, they've got like 14 different 3DS games there now. Now they're almost all Mario and uh, what is it? uh, Pokemon games and everything. But I'm like, okay, you didn't have that like just even two weeks ago. You had like five total games. So... Somewhere the they I, up a box. The moment I realized the 3DS was dead was when I found out Target was doing a ridiculous clearance sale on pretty much every 3DS game they had on their store. Like, they were like, oh, uh, uh, some random Zelda game, $7, $20 for WarioWare Gold, uh, I think like 20 bucks for like Pokemon games. It was nuts. And um, greatest regret of, of not buying something in a store was when I went, I was walking around like a local Walmart and they just had lying there for some reason, like Pokemon Black or Pokemon White or whatever. And this was like seven, eight years after the game came out. And it was just, it was just sitting there and it was like, oh, mm, yeah, I'm not going to get it. And then the next day I was like, why didn't I get that game? And I go back to the store and it's gone. It was sold out like the, so they must have just found it sitting in the in a corner and then just put it there. <laughs> yeah, what was it? There was one time at a Walmart. I've, I've had lucky finds at Walmart sometimes, but uh, it was a few years ago that I had gone to a Walmart when I was heading up to a wedding. And I just had stopped there real quick just to grab something for the hotel that I was going to be at. And I just decided to go back and check out the game uh, area that they had. And at the at the time, I had been trying to find a copy of uh, uh, Mario and Luigi Paper Jam because I had never gotten a copy of it when it originally came out. It was like almost two years after it had been released. And I'm like, well, there's probably no way I'm going to find this, but I'll just, you know, take a look in the stores and see. Because most prices on eBay or like Amazon were like 60, 70 bucks for a new copy, which is kind of crazy for a Mario game. But anyway, I was going through the aisles and looking through the, the game stuff, and they're sitting on the bottom shelf where they had some of the 3DS games was a copy of that game sitting there. I honestly... It was one of those things where I saw it, and I'm like, you know, I probably shouldn't spend the money to get it, but I do want to get it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's uh. like it's, games are wild. Like I'll, I'm willing to spend sixty dollars on a brand new game that just like I don't know, Last of Us Part Two, some random game that just came out. But then I'll see a beloved game that I've never played on a system I own on eBay for like forty bucks. It's used. I don't want to touch that. I'm like. <laughs> I'm gonna wait till I can find it for fifteen dollars. It's like, well, it's I'm still getting the same joy I would get out of spending sixty bucks on, I don't know, Dragon Quest Eleven. I don't know. It's just, it's really weird the way your your brain operates like that. You don't want to spend just a little bit less or just a little bit more than you would get for a a new game that just came out. If it's a oh yeah, game. I mean, I've got I, I've got tons of Switch games on my wish list that are like nine ninety nine. I'm like, oh, I'm not paying more than five dollars for that. Though. It's going, it's gonna go lower. I know it is. <laughs> and and, I'll, and I'd probably get twenty hours out of that game for ten bucks, you know. But no way, I'm going five. If yeah. I got a five. <laughs> if you're spending anything more than a dollar per hour, not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, since we've been talking Switch and 3DS, I guess we've uh, in our minds put the Vita to bed. So. Uh, about time to put ourselves to bed here. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. All right, so that's it for this episode of Slime Time SideQuest. We want to thank Evan for joining us to talk about the Vita. Always willing to talk about the Vita. Viva la Vita loca, baby. We, we certainly <laughs> had a lot to talk about. <laughs> but yeah, we definitely had a lot to talk about with this uh, handheld that unfortunately has been kind of forgotten by time, but it lives on in all of our hearts. If you play a Vita, <laughs> it, it becomes a part of you. You never forget it. Vita's life. <laughs> so you might have noticed that the only time we ever mention Patreon in any slime time is when we say we don't use Patreon. We're just longtime fans that want to speak about the topics and the games and the systems we know and love so much. But if you do happen to have any money that you'd like to donate, consider sliding on over to the Dragon's Den at www.wudis.com den and click on support this site. Wudis has owned and maintained the Dragon's Den site for over 20 years now, and I'm sure he'd appreciate any donation. Or you could use his Amazon affiliate link uh, to make any purchases. Uh, Evan was just on a couple episodes on Slime Time. And we were talking about the Dragon Quest Monsters Plus books. Those are all on there. Pretty much anything that's available on Amazon related to Dragon Quest, Wudis has a link to it. So slide on over there and buy something and a small fraction will go to support the den. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have any suggestions for a future episode of Slime Time Side Quest, be sure to contact either Platy or myself, uh, Yangus the Legendary Bandit. You can contact Platy through his Twitter, which is uh, just PlattyM3, or you can reach out to him on Discord, or the official Discord for the Dragon's Den. You can contact me through the Dragon's Den itself via personal message, or like Platy, you can also contact me on the Discord uh, through a PM there on one of the channels we have. I'm pretty active on the Discord there, so if you send me a message or send me a, or send Platy a message, we're probably going to be get pretty quick to get back to you if uh, you know we want to do a little back and forth. And we have a big list of ideas and suggestions, uh, all typed up and ready to go to pick from. So if you got anything you want to try and or you want us to add to it, or just something you might want us to revisit in the future, just let us know, and we will add it to the list, and hopefully we'll get to it soon for you. Yep. Bye, everyone. Side the quest to complete! <laughs>